get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. into the blue zone. Bellino with a shot and a glove save. Hofer. He's been flashing that glove since he's been called up here. Really in the circle, shot on. Rebound. It nope. hit the post, stayed out. Unbelievable. And it's into the pads of the goaltender. Hofer covers it up. Yeah, he's, he did a good job again. You know, solid game all around. You know, gave us a chance to win. Once again, Joel Hofer is just impressing after impressing after impressing. Last night, he finds a way to beat up on the Detroit Red Wings, only allows two goals as the Blues walk out with a victory. Now, Joel Hofer 3-0-1 in his first four starts of the season. Welcome, everyone, into BK and Ferrario. We are live here at the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. And no BK as he is out in Viva Las Vegas. And we said no better. Better to bring in than Jeremy Rutherford himself, the king of Vegas. <laughs> BK taking over him. These are uh, big shoes to fill. So do I have to have bad takes if I sit in this chair? The entire show. Right, Tanner? The entire show for this guy. Yeah, that's right. You just yeah. you just spitball as much of, you know, crap as you can, and that'll <laughs> yep. fill the role of BK. <laughs> Pretty much. And then take a lot of vacation days. Yeah. And then mention Mahomes about 22 times during and, the show. Yeah, more Kansas City talk if you want to throw that in there. Maybe complain about Emo's Pizza if you prefer yeah, to do Kansas that. Kansas City's got the best libraries, the best... <laughs> Taxis, the All best. All it sounds. Everything. Is, honestly, you're spot on with it. Maybe a little <laughs> more nasally in your voice, JR, and we'll be right on with what we need. But look, I, I'll admit I was still a little in the honeymoon phase of Joel Hofer performing after the first two games because it felt like the defense in front of him was performing well. And you're thinking, okay, you tighten up in front of your goaltender, you're going to play well. Nothing like what Jordan Bennington's got in this season with the backdoor tap-ins. And the last couple of games, we've seen a couple of goals get by Joel Hofer, JR. But overall, you judge a goaltender by making the saves when you need it to win the game. And he did that last night against the Detroit Red Wings in the third period. He did that nearly against the Detroit Red Wings, just couldn't get that shootout save. And if you look at the opponents that he's beaten up on, maybe not the high prolific teams, but having a 3-0-1 record in four starts with a 944 save percentage and a 905 high danger save percentage, you got to start talking about this kid being ready for the NHL. Yeah, I think you do. I do want to say first and foremost before we get going on Joel Hofer today is that it's way, 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 way too early. It really is. It's way too early. We're talking four games this year, a couple last year. But, Alex, when your name is Hofer, and what is that short for? H-O-F, Hall of Famer with the E-R. Oh! The Hall of Famer, Joel. Oh, that no. felt good. That <laughs> felt good. That was like when I said Hall of Oates. 
Now we got the Hall of Fame for uh, Joel Hofer. H-O-F, like that's going to be his signature when he signs his autograph for years. Hall of Famer. H-O-F-E-R, right? (laughs) God, you had to love that. You knew you were going to be a pro athlete when your last name was Hofer. That's great. But so way too early. It really is. Uh, I can't count the number of goaltenders I've seen over the years with the Blues and with other teams where you get off to that you know, week, two-week start, and you just look unstoppable. This is a hard league. Uh, Jordan Bennington found it out. He won the Stanley Cup that first year, and look at the years uh, that came after that. But that said, uh, six foot five takes up a ton of net. Joey talked about it with that sound bite there. Great glove. That couple glove saves last night, just dynamite. But, Alex, what I thought we saw last night was he won those other games. You know, he had the shutout, not shutout, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Grice. <laughs> but I think it's a, a situation where last night what we saw from him was so much compete. Yeah. So the other games, there were some shots and some good saves. But last night, there's a little bit of acrobatic stuff. There's loose pucks around the net where he really has to battle. And I think that uh, he showed that he could compete. So four games, 3-0-1. You can't argue with that whatsoever. But let's pump the brakes just a little bit for the HOF. All right. You were filling B. BK shots perfectly, <laughs> or shoes perfectly with Buzz Killington with that right there. But here's the one thing that I did notice, and I mentioned it on pregame with Curbs last night, JR. What you have in Bennington and Hofer going into next season are two identical styles as a goaltender. And to know that if you're a defense or if you're a group of players that are going to be playing in front of your goaltender, to know that they play the exact same way benefits your team. And this is, hasn't been something that the Blues have had since it was Bennington and Allen because Allen was a really good puck mover where he could skate out of his net, stop it, and move it up the ice, kill the play behind the net like we saw Bennington do against Minnesota. They didn't have that in Ville Husso, although Ville Husso was a very good goaltender for them. It was two different styles. Grice is another very different style. He stays in his net. He's not moving. To know that you're going to have a tandem next season playing 82 games to where Bennington's going to provide you the same thing that Joel Hofer's going to provide you in terms of big-time saves, making the glove saves, but also killing plays and moving the puck like a third defenseman back there, that's really going to benefit a team going into next season, and I think it's going to expedite that retool that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, Alex, I go back to, with this topic, I go back to that Minnesota playoff series. Absolutely. When Jordan Bennington came in and he just changed the series, and a lot of it was because of his puck handling behind the net. Joel Hofer, same way. I did a story on Joel Hofer a few weeks ago, and uh, when I uh, called Drew Bannister, the Springfield Thunderbirds coach, for that story, first thing he said, puck handling. Like, he, he is great with the puck. And, you know, you might not think that that's a big deal in terms of having that kind of the same type of play from both of your goaltenders, but it really is. And especially if Hofer turns into a guy who plays, you know, Grace is what, 14 starts this year? Yeah. Maybe you see Joel Hofer next year make 25 starts. It's going to become an even bigger deal that they're similar. And when you're a defenseman and you go out on the ice and you're used to Jordan Biddington putting it a certain spot, well, now Joel Hofer is doing the same thing. And, Alex, it's even more important because that's where the game is now. And, and you know, did a goalie – being able to handle the puck help you 20 years ago? Sure, it did. But now teams are up ice so quick. You got the defensemen like the Cal McCars uh, that, that just move the puck quickly. If you can have a goaltender put it on your stick and get it even going faster, that's going to benefit. Bennington can do it. Holford looks like he can do it. That's going to be a huge advantage for the Well, Blues. and that's the thing, too, is, you know, you're playing into the speed game. And if you these guys can be third defensemen and move the puck fast or quickly, Uh, to keep a power play going or to keep the play going or to catch a team off guard, you've got the Veranas and the Kairos and the Thomases who have that speed element that can catch teams off guard. 
that all seems to play into the identity that Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong are trying to accomplish. And I just went back and looked at this because goaltending is so important when it comes to turning your team around and retooling. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are a perfect example. We all know about the Stamkoses and the Kucherovs and the points that they acquired, but they missed the playoffs two consecutive seasons. They drafted Andre Vasilevsky in 2012. You know how many times they've missed the playoffs since then? Once. Wow. When you get a goaltender who you know is going to be in there and make the saves and be competitive for you on a nightly basis. And I'm not saying either of these guys are Vasilevsky, but if you've got two of them that are playing 82 games that you know are going to make you competitive every single night, and now we're seeing Joel Hofer overcome some of the struggles on the defensive side. Bennington has done it a lot this season. You're in a pretty good spot next season. Yeah, so is this where I do my BK? Vasilevsky, come on, are you kidding Did you, me? You, you said he was a Hall of Famer, <laughs> JR. We're both on this Vasilevsky. Turf. No, but the, the interesting part to me about this situation is, and, and let's just let's move forward and say that Joel Hofer is going to be a, a good goaltender, it looks like. But Jordan Bennington is the 1A. He's under contract for the next several years. What's the situation going to look like? next year is joel hofer going to play well enough to overtake some starts and maybe go on a run Uh, is jordan bennington going to say hey not taking over my net like what's going to happen here i think it's an interesting situation joel hofer just 22 years old like you don't see that many goaltenders step into the league and take over that 1a role so when you talk about i'm going back to the retool when you talk about speeding up the retool if joel hofer is a guy who can be that type of goaltender that you're saying and speed that up is he going to get the net? Is he making 20, 25, 30 starts? What's he doing? What's the Blues goaltending situation moving forward well, after this? And we're getting a ton of texts on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Stop me if you've heard this one before, JR. Uh, could the Blues trade Bennington now that Joel Hofer's playing well? Absolutely no chance that happens this offseason. I don't think so. Uh, you know, you never rule anything out because I think Doug's going to want to speed this thing up and do what he can to uh, to help it along. But do you feel like they would trust a 22, 23-year-old that, next season? That's the thing. And then if you do, who's the backup? So you're putting a 22-year-old Joel Holfer in as your 1A, and then you're bringing a Thomas Grice-type guy, I'm not saying him, back to be the backup next year. I don't think you can feel comfortable with that. Listen, there's probably people driving around. Have you seen this guy play the last four games? He's amazing! He, yeah, so I, I just can't see, even during a retool, because I see you take a step back, Maybe you put some faith in some younger guys that yeah. you normally wouldn't do. This isn't like you're one piece away from a championship, so you can't trust a 22-year-old goaltender. I just can't see it. You know, is there interest in Bennington? What could you do to make that work if you did want to move him? You know, who knows where that will go. But I would, if I had to put some sort of money on it, you know, looking ahead to next October, I'd say it's Bennington and Hopefully. I just go down. back to that quote that Doug Armstrong said after the trade deadline, and he said, we don't want to put these young players with a lead life jacket on into the ocean. He said, if it doesn't work for them, we want to plop them out and put them in a smaller pond. If Joel Hofer struggles next season, you don't want to say, well, he's our number one guy. You want to say, okay, he's struggling. Let's see what else we can do for him. Maybe you take a little bit of a step back with him as a backup goaltender. You want to have somebody that you can trust. And now Jordan Bennington has shown at the season that he could play 57, 60-plus games in a regular season. Yeah, and maybe, like I said, he doesn't play that many next year because you got a whole right. But here's the other part of this, too, is, you know, I hate to use this term, do you want to ruin him, but let's say you come back with Hofer and another backup, like a journeyman-type guy, and it's all on Hofer. Look, if it's not going well and he's trying to learn to be a 1A and be a goalie in the NHL, you know, you could ruin a guy like that where it take your time a little bit with him. Yeah, maybe Jordan Bennington doesn't make 60 starts. Maybe uh, Joel Hofer gets 30. But at least when things aren't going well, he's able to take a day or two off, work with the goalie coach, Davey Alexander, figure things out, and get back to where it's at. 
I think that's best for a development of a young look guy. At, like look at the experience that we've seen in the past with Ben Bishop. It was Jake Allen, Ben Bishop. You had Yaroslav Halak and Brian Elliott up with the big leagues. I mean, Ben Bishop played, what was it, four straight seasons in the American Hockey League before we got a little bit of a look with the Blues, played seven games and six games in another season, and then they traded him because they said, well, Jake Allen's ready and Ben Bishop's ready. So it's a lot more of an extended stay with this. One other text I wanted to read uh, off of our Air Comfort Service text line, and I think this is interesting, JR. Uh, from the 314, Hofer is my least favorite player because he's ruining our chances <laughs> at a lottery pick. I-, I thought this last night. As much as I want Connor McDavid, as much as everybody listening right now, or not Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard could be Connor McDavid. The chances of you getting a top two pick are very slim. And the the furthest you can go is probably sixth worst in the NHL because you're not catching Montreal. You're not catching Anaheim, Columbus, Chicago. The best you could do is catch the Arizona Coyotes. Right now, I want certain players feeling good about themselves going into the offseason. And if that means winning a couple of games against bad teams, then so be it. If I finish ninth or 10th overall in the standings and draft, so be it because I want certain guys feeling good about themselves rather than just losing against all of the bad teams this season. Yeah, here's kind of where I fall on that is, uh, you know, do you want to lose your last 10 or 11 games? You know, I don't think anybody's wanting to turn on the TV and, and wanting to see 10 or 11 straight losses because, Alex, that means that means exactly what you're saying. Guys probably aren't playing well. Colton Preco probably isn't playing well. Uh, Joel Hofer lets some pucks in. Uh, the, the offense isn't scoring. You know, that's what happens when you lose 10 or 11 in a row to start the season. Even if you do, you're only going to bump up a percentage or two in that draft lottery. Right. Like, okay, so maybe now you have an 8% chance to get the number one or the number two as opposed to a 6% chance. And guess what? Go back and look at all the drafts over the past 20 years. You might find a better player who's had a long NHL career who was drafted at number 10 as opposed to number eight. It's not an exact science all the time. So, you know, be happy with the pick that you get. You know, I don't care about the winning or the losing. You just want to see some good performances on a lot of these guys down the stretch. And is it really going to mean anything if they play well the last 10 games? Does that really carry over to game one of next year? You know, probably not. But at least you're seeing signs. Doug Armstrong and his staff can have a true evaluation of what guys look like and base their decisions on that this offseason. They're one point behind Detroit for moving into that 10th bottom team in the National Hockey League. And the Blues will be back at it against a struggling team tomorrow night, the Anaheim Ducks, after their victory last Last night over the Detroit Red Wings, 4-3. to three. He's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletics sitting in for BK. Tanner Hendrickson back in our studios. I'm Alex Ferrario here at the E&B Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center. Coming up next, Jordan Walker has struggled in these last few games, going all the way back to that shoulder uh, injury that he had that wasn't a cause for concern. But are his struggles changing the plans of the Cardinals moving into opening day? We'll get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletics, sitting in for BK today, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at the E&B Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center. And how about this? It's always good when BK takes off because typically, JR, we get like John Mosellock on or Doug Armstrong or Craig Berube on. Uh, but now we've got some breaking news to get to. T-Bone, hit the sounder. 101 ESPN, breaking news alert. 
We now officially know who the opening day starter will be for the Cardinals on Thursday against the Blue Jays at Bush Stadium. Who is it, Alex? It is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tanner, I don't hear drum roll back that there. Miles. The, that was the worst drum roll I've ever heard. It was, it was bad. I'm we sorry. were hitting the EB Granite. Yeah, it was the EB Granite, man, and you know that's always good. I also used my uh, cheeks there. Miles Michaelis is getting the start, according to John Denton, uh, at Bush Stadium against the Toronto Blue Jays, and this was kind of expected. It's the second opening day start with the Cardinals uh, for opening day for Michaelis. Uh, Of course, the All-Star back in 2018, and then what he did last season. It it seemed inevitable that it was going to go this route. Yes, you could make the case for Jack Flaherty getting the start because he's viewed as the ace of this ball club, but this, to me, signifies that Ollie looked at Miles and said, you did a lot for us last season because we didn't have Jack Flaherty. We didn't have Steven Matz. Jordan Montgomery didn't come till halfway through the season. You're our guy to start this season off. And I think it's a good move by the Cardinals to give this to Miles Michaelis. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I thought that they might go to Jack Flaherty just to say, hey, we, we've been banking on you all, all offseason long as kind of being our ace. That's why we didn't go get someone like a Carlos Rodon or Jacob deGrom. But you know what? I understand that the decision to go with Miles Michaels. They said uh, the other day, I think Ali had, had a comment of how do you weigh last year's performance into this decision? And he said a lot. So I, I get them deciding to go with Miles Michaelis. And we'll see him on opening day, and I'm excited for Miles. When, you, when you've when you earned two all-star appearances in your time here in St. Louis, then you've definitely earned the right to become an opening day starter for the St. Louis Cardinals and all the festivities that go around on opening day. Let me ask you guys, uh, not that starting on opening day is a ton of pressure, and if Jack Flaherty struggles, then it's going to be a tough season for him. Obviously, that's not the case. But does this help Jack Flaherty in any way, you guys, that uh, you know you don't have that spotlight opening day, let Michaelis go out there and do that, and then Flaherty just comes in and his next start and kind of gets that ball rolling? It's a really good question um, because if it was any other pitcher, I'd say, yeah, it probably benefits them to – not have all the spotlight on them of being the number one guy to start the season on an opening day. But, man, Jack Flaherty takes things so personally. So I really – this could do two things. It could light a fire underneath Jack Flaherty to say, well, you're not going to give me the opening day start. I'm going to take this and run. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan are his idols. Like, they played that way. Or it could be detrimental in terms of the mindset is just not right there and he falters out of the start because there wasn't trust there. I don't think that would happen. I would lean more towards he adds fire to him. So the opposite effect is what I'm I'm saying. That's what I'm a little worried about. But, no, I I think even Jack Flaherty understood that this was the way it was going to go because, I mean, Miles Michaelis pitched nearly 200 innings for them last season. He would have been – and, look, this wouldn't even have been Miles Michaelis' start if Adam Wainwright wasn't injured. This was Adam Wainwright's start. So I I view this as everybody knew the way it was going to go, and Miles Michaelis just edged out Jack Flaherty in this sense. And I believe, T-Bone, we have more breaking news today. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. Well, man, just as we're discussing Miles Michaelis, according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Miles Michaelis and the St. Louis Cardinals have reached an agreement on a contract extension beyond 2023, and they are set to announce it today, as we believe they're holding a press conference around 12 o'clock Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern, as sources tell the Post-Dispatch. Details of the deal not yet available, and we'll provide those here on 101 ESPN once we get them. So Miles Michaelis is getting an extension from the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, great job there by uh, T-Bone to get that breaking news for us. So let's just let's continue with this Miles Michaelis conversation. Not only does he get the opening day start, JR, but he gets a contract extension. And if you missed what Tanner just said there, the terms of the extension are not known yet. We'll release that once we get it. But 
you knew going into the offseason that they had to lock somebody up to an extension on the starting pitching staff because all you had next year was Steven Matt. Nothing. Nothing. Wainwright's retiring. Flaherty's headed to the UFA. Montgomery, Michaelis, nothing. So it was bound to happen to somebody, and I guess read the tea leaves here that Miles Michaelis gets the opening day. He also gets the start. If I were to guess, this is just me speculating, what do you a two three year deal for a Miles Michaelis to continue on as one of those top guys for your rotation? Yeah, I would think so. Somewhere in that two to three year range. I know that uh, what a great find he's been for yeah. the Cardinals. He comes over, and uh, you know he got that uh, lengthy contract the first time, and some people question that. Uh, but he's pitched well, and he's been a workhorse, has he not? Alex talking about the 200 innings, and you know maybe not the true number one, a guy who's going to open, uh, be on opening day every year, like an Adam Wainwright who just pencils into that spot. Maybe Jack Flaherty's got more potential for that. But Michaelis gets the job done, and, and you feel good when he's on the mound. So I think you're right. I think a couple, two or three years extension on that, and what a day to be Miles Michaelis. Get that <laughs> uh, opening day nod and the contract well, extension. And, and here's the other thing too, Tanner. I mean, he performed really well at the World Baseball classic when he saw him and the only concern of him getting the start on opening day was was he ramped up enough to be there because he just didn't get the same workload at the world baseball classic that he would have got in spring training cardinals don't seem to think that's a major problem but with the contract extension it really came down to michaelis or montgomery because flaherty wasn't going to happen until the offseason um and did you want to lock up a guy who you only saw half of a season from? And we had the reports yesterday that, you know, Montgomery said that, you know, we've got nothing done, so we're going to start the season and figure it out as we go. But we heard no rumblings of Miles Michaelis getting any contract extension talk. But John Mosellock must have viewed this as the one that made more sense because you got a longer tenured starting pitcher, somebody who viewed Adam Wainwright as a idol to him. And when they've been without certain pitchers, Miles Michaelis has lived up to the expectations, Tanner. Yeah, I, I think when you look at Michaelis, to me, and we had these conversations, of course, all throughout the offseason of would they extend a pitcher. I, I think the guy that made the most sense was Michaelis because of what you said, that familiarity. He's been with the Cardinals organization since 2018. And as I mentioned, when he got named the opening day starter or when we just got the news of the contract extension, he's been an all-star twice. So he made a ton of sense. Now, to your point on Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery. I, I think what's probably going to happen is I wouldn't be shocked if they do get a contract extension done with one of those guys, but it may not be till the offseason. I don't know if they'll lock up Montgomery. He's already said, as you just referenced there, that he would not sign a contract in season. He wants to get this done before season or wait till he hits free agency, and they're going to wait on Jack Flaherty. They want to see if he's actually an ace or if he's just kind of a middle middle-of-the-road rotation arm, and if he is, then they're probably not giving him a big contract. But I wouldn't be shocked if Miles Michaels is not the only one that will get a contract extension. It may not just occur until after the season is over. So Jesse Rogers just tweeted uh, that uh, sources are telling ESPN that the Cardinals have agreed to a two-year $40 million extension with Miles Michaelis. So That's exactly what I was getting ready to ask you. What's the money going to be? Yeah, and I think that's their – I mean, look, Adam Wainwright's getting paid $17.5 million this season, and I know it's prorated and it's moving on, but – I mean, $20 million to get a guy who pitched as close to an ace as possible last season. I mean, Miles Michaelis hits the market. What would you say? You're probably talking somebody giving him 20 to $25 million. So this is right on market value for a Miles Michaelis uh, to be in the rotation. And what I like about this, too, is now you've got 
depending on if Jack Flaherty gets locked up, like Tanner just referenced, if he is the ace, or if they decide to go Jordan Montgomery, if he pitches like a number one, number two pitcher this season, now you get the head of your rotation locked up for this season, T-Bone. So if he's locked up for the season, you go into next season saying, now we fill out the rest of it, or you look at it as, now we find our other guy to work with, Miles Michaelis, as our one-two punch. Yeah, right now when you look at that rotation, if these are the numbers you're going to get, around $20 million is what the AAV will be. Who knows, maybe they backload that second year. Uh, but I, what what will be fascinating is you've only got about $31 million, if I'm not mistaken. I think $11 million is committed to Matt. So you got two arms for $31 million. And I think this is right around that market that was going to be Michaelis. I, I think if you wanted to bring down his money, you could have done a three-year deal as the Athletic kind of projected earlier in, the, uh, earlier in spring training when they projected a three-year $45 million deal. So I, I think you're going to have enough room to where they can still add one pitcher or re-sign, say it's Jack Flaherty has an ace-type season, to where they can still hand out that kind of money, especially with these younger players that are coming up on, like Jordan Walker. Mason Wynn will probably be ready by next year on league minimum deals, along with some of the pitchers that they're hoping will be ready, and Gordon Graceffo, uh Tink Kens is just a couple of years away. So I, I, I like this deal for the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll see what the money ends up being. Maybe it is 20-20, and 20, or maybe they'll try and backload that second year. But with $31 million committed just to rotation and two arms, they've got plenty of money to spend and add one more potentially ace-type arm next offseason. Tanner, you're going to have that breaking news. Sonder ready again. What do we have, a Jordan Walker statue outside, something like that? Uh, <laughs> hit, the, hit the Sonder again. I, hey, he's a he's a future Hall of Famer. Now he doesn't have like HOF in his name like Holford does, as you pointed out earlier. But due time, Tanner. Due, due time. time. He's a stud. He is a stud indeed. So if you missed the news, uh, first we found out that Miles Michaelis was named the opening day starter as he'll be taking on Alec Manoa of the Toronto Blue Jays. So a, a really good matchup on that Thursday opening day at Bush Stadium. Uh, and then we found out that uh, Miles Michaelis has agreed to a contract extension. Again, the reports from Jesse Rogers are a two-year, $40 million extension. Coming up next, well, we are inching closer to the end of our Top 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season. Here's a hint, JR. Number three is not Miles Michaelis, but number three is still an impactful player. And we'll touch on that next here on 101 ESPN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number three, Paul Goldschmidt. In the air out to deep left. Look at how high he hit that. Oh, 
Holy smokes! And a home run. Only a two-run shot. That's as high as you will ever see a ball hit. Oh, my goodness. Paul Goldschmidt, number three. Number three. On our most important Cardinals, 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who's sitting in for BK Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. I know, I know. Number three, for what it's worth, T-Bone and I thought he was the second most important Cardinal on this roster. So blame BK. We have no idea where he was. Probably number four or five on I was going to say, did list. he have to be five or six to Honestly, average out at three? We didn't check with BK what he was on his list. I would say probably three uh, because he ended at number three and not number two, but for what it's worth, Paul Goldschmidt, the MVP number three on this list, and this is the tough part because, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was the most important Cardinal for you last season, carrying you all the way, the offense that started out of spring training and really didn't let up until right before the postseason where he started to get a little uh, quiet with the offense but still won the MVP. So Paul Goldschmidt falling in at number three. Let's start here. Best case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt this season. Seems like a dumb, easy question, but Tanner, best case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt. The best case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt is Goldschmidt does what Goldie does, and and that is just be an absolute stud. When you look at his numbers last year, first ever MVP, but when you look at his numbers in his career, he is a average of 295. He has a career 391 on base and a career slugging of 527 and a career OPS of 917. Basically, just do a typical Goldie season. That's the best case scenario. Look, best case scenario if you wanted to say to win back-to-back MVPs, but that's almost impossible to do. But the best case scenario is just don't have a massive drop off. And that that's what I expect from Paul Goldschmidt. I don't think the aging curve is going to catch up to him. I think he's going to build off of last year. Maybe not be as good statistically, but you're not going to see anything significantly drop off from his game. And there's no reason to think that there's going to be a drop off, right? I realized a couple of years ago, maybe there were starting to be some questions. You know, he's getting into his 30s. Can he keep this going? And then he puts together an MVP season. Now, granted, the playoff wasn't there. That might even motivate him more to be right. just as good as he was last year. But I don't see any situation where you look at Goldschmidt's game and you can say, I don't know, there could be a, a drop off here. Yeah, I mean, there's no change of best case scenario for me with Paul Goldschmidt. It's last season. Best case scenario, I mean, everything about Paul Goldschmidt, because what are the hiccups? It's, oh, well, he starts off uh, the beginning of the season slower. When it's cold, Paul Goldschmidt doesn't hit. When it's warm, Paul Goldschmidt hits. He didn't do that last season. Paul Goldschmidt was there from start to finish. So best case scenario is just do exactly what you did last season, Paul Goldschmidt. Now, the interesting nugget on this is worst case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt. And in another season like last year, if you would have said worst case scenario for me with Paul Goldschmidt, it would be, well, he doesn't hit at the start of the season or he goes quiet. First of all, it just seems unfathomable that that would happen for Paul Goldschmidt because Look at the back of his baseball card. It always ends the same way. But worst case scenario would be that Paul Goldschmidt's offense disappears. But what's so intriguing about that is if it disappears, you've got a lot more weapons that can make up for Paul Goldschmidt going quiet at certain times this season. And I'm not even going to bring up an injury there because, of course, that's worst case scenario for this Cardinals team. So I don't really know if there's a worst case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt. This is my worst case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt. It has nothing to do with the regular season because I 
if Paul Goldschmidt has a bad season, it must be raining cats and dogs because Paul Goldschmidt's <laughs> too good to have a bad regular season. Maybe he has one bad month like we saw last year was in September. He really cooled off in the end. Or as you mentioned, he's been cold coming out of spring training before. But I know that when I look at his baseball card, his numbers are going to represent close to what they've been in his career. I think the worst case scenario for Paul Goldschmidt is when this team gets to the playoffs. And I know, shocker, they are going to be a playoff team. I know the Texans no. sometimes disagrees. But when this team makes the playoffs, the worst case scenario is Paul Goldschmidt is as cold as he was last year in the playoffs. And, and that is really the only worst case scenario I can picture is Paul Goldschmidt performs in the regular season and then he doesn't show up for the postseason. And he's one of those guys that the reason he's so high on this list is because I think they can win in the regular season even if Goldie were to have a quote unquote bad Goldie year. They cannot win a World Series if Paul Goldschmidt struggles in the postseason. So that is my worst case scenario is Goldie continues to be cold in the postseason. Yeah, and Tanner, that is a worst-case scenario. We're getting way too far ahead of ourselves here when we talk about what Paul Goldschmidt's going to do in the playoffs next year, this upcoming season. But let me ask you this. Let's say he doesn't perform in the playoffs again after having another good regular season. How will he be viewed here in terms of these blockbuster, amazing MVP-type regular seasons but just not delivering That's in the playoffs? That's a good question. I, I mean, you're you're obviously going to be below an Albert Pujols in any sense of the conversation, but... I mean, even with that MVP and the performance, if you don't back it up in the postseason, there's still going to be some hesitancy of looking at that player and saying, yeah, but he just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And frankly, I mean, winning the MVP, especially if you're a first baseman like Paul Goldschmidt, when you've got guys like Freddie Freeman in the National League with you, but you also have the Manny Machados and the Juan Soto. Like when you have all of these studs in the National League and you still win a World Series or a uh, MVP, it's still impressive but to the point of not performing in the playoffs the last two wild cards now I understand the one was just one game against the LA Dodgers but he's had 10 at bats and he's got one hit and five strikeouts so yeah worst case scenario I'm with you Tanner you got to hit in the postseason and it seems so odd to be saying that right now but if you don't I'm not sure this offense can carry you to that next step. And I guess that's the that's the next topic worth getting into as Paul Goldschmidt is number three on our top 20 most important Cardinals of 2023. The offense behind him. Last season, if you were to ask this question, I would have said no. But now that we're seeing this offense unfold itself and the potential of having Jordan Walker this season and maybe Mason Wynn down the stretch, but Brennan Donovans and Tommy Edmonds and Tyler O'Neill's and Lars Nupars. Can this offense carry the regression of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado if it happens? I don't believe it's going to happen because I look at Nolan Arenado as having a Paul Goldschmidt MVP type season this year. But if you do lose them for a certain stretch of time, if the offense goes away, if they look uncomfortable at the plate, do you have enough offense to take this team to the next level? I, I think you do. I, when you look at this offense, I mean, we're talking about if you have even just somewhat of a bounce back season from like Tyler O'Neill or Lars Newt Barnes up being the guy that the Cardinals think he is, it's going to make up for any sort of regression you see from Paul Goldschmidt. And, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of regression, as you said. I, I think you're going to see him more in the norm of like probably 280, 290, hit 30 home runs and be probably top 20 MVP candidate, not the favorite to be the MVP. And the other thing, too, 
is this is why all offseason long I said they needed to go get Wilson Contreras to be their catcher because unlike Albert Pujols, who was great for the St. Louis Cardinals last year, it was only in the second half. If you remember in the first half, the Cardinals had nobody behind Goldie and Arenado to make up for if they went through a slump. This year they will have that in Wilson Contreras, who should be consistent from the beginning of the year till the end, and he can make up for any regression that occurs between Goldie and Arenado. I don't. If you lose those two for a certain stretch of time, you're in trouble. Because for me, you go into this season, and I'm not even thinking of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado because I just put it down in permanent marker that they're going to perform. If you lose them, if the offense disappears for a month, two months, yeah, you could probably overcome that. But to what degree? Because these guys are providing, I mean, last year they had 65 home runs combined. And I understand that that pop, you could probably get it in Nolan or uh, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yapez, you know, maybe Lars Newpark can provide some of that. You're asking, you're going to be asking for the best seasons out of three, four players if you lose Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt for a certain stretch. So if that regression hits in, which again, I don't believe it will, but if it does, you're going to be asking for career years from multiple players, which I don't know if they have that in them to do for a sustained length of time. You are, but it all goes back to what you just said a second ago. Is how long is the slump, or how right. long do they go with not, not producing? I mean, if you're still getting 25, 30 home runs, and you're still getting 275, 280, you know, somewhere in there, it's if you're talking about a regression where you're batting 260 and, and 15, 18 home runs. I guess it, it depends on where it comes in the season, too. Exactly. Like, if it happens at the beginning of the season, you got guys that can carry that low. But if you lose – because when we lost – not lost, but when Paul Goldschmidt disappeared offensively last year at that final month of the season, Nolan Arenado was performing like an MVP, and that carried that load. So if you lose one of them and the other takes over, I think you're in a good spot. Let's just say it's at the end of the season. But if you lose both, do you really believe that you can have two guys that can fill that void that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado provide going into the end of the season? I, I mean, if you lose both, yes, and there's a problem. But when I say regression, I'm talking about a, a full season in terms of, you know, Paul Goldschmidt is not 80% above league average. He kind of reverts back to more of his norm, which is, I think, about 30 40% above league average. Like, they have enough to make up for that. But if we're talking about, like, worst-case scenario where Paul Goldschmidt has, like, his hitting abilities taken out, like, in a— Space Jam, what happens to those basketball players, then yeah, the Cardinals are in trouble. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and an injury, we can't predict that. But he's been healthy for the big chunk of his career. So like, right. I, I think when we're when I when I say regression, what I'm saying is basically Paul Goldschmidt kind of reverts back to being 2021, 2019 Paul Goldschmidt. And if that's the case, then the Cardinals do have the protection in my mind to make up for that difference from what they got last year. Like I said, I guess it, it depends on where it comes in the season. Because if it's at the end of the season, do you have the guys that can step up at that big of a stage? And I, I look at it as that remains to be seen for certain guys, but you're entering the prime spot for guys like Tyler O'Neill to showcase it, Lars Newpar to showcase it. You have the name recognition to fill that regression, but do you have the productivity and the ability to showcase it on the field. That's the question I would still have. Breaking news. You're not going to lose their offense for a big part of the season for both of them. Breaking news. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado are going to be fine this season <laughs> and probably MVP candidates. Tanner Hendrickson, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at the ENB Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center and it's time for you to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 Sports, whatever else. You send us the question, we'll answer it. Ask us anything next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic Blues Insider, who is sitting in for BK today. Tanner Hendrickson back in our 101 ESPN studios. I'm Alex Ferrario as we are out here at Centene Community Eye Center in our ENB Granite Studios. And it is time for Ask Us Anything. You send us a text, 314-399-9646 to our Air Comfort Service text line. JR, we are obligated to answer it no matter what. Have to, huh? Legally, we have to answer the question for Ask Us Anything. And that goes for Tanner. Who has to answer this one? Tanner, what's the most or what's your favorite place slash activity to enjoy a hot dog? Not oh. really sure what activity meant by that, but yeah, I'll just go with place. Yeah, I'm definitely not like working out while eating a hot dog. That would be bad. <laughs> JR's uh, seen people eat Twinkies on the treadmill. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was me. There's a mirror <laughs> there's a mirror there at the gym. <laughs> I, I I think the best spot for a hot dog is I gotta say at a ballpark. Like a ballpark hot dog while you're out there probably sweating while it's like 100 degrees and like 80 percent humidity it's still the perfect spot though with an ice cold beer while you're watching cardinals baseball mm, there's there's literally nothing better i'm telling you you all are sleeping on home depot hot dogs home depot home depot hot dogs telling you you are sleeping on it is that a deal where you have to be like 90 and you no. just wander around the building on like I mean, hot dog a, day or something? There's a lot of 90-year-olds at Home Depot when I go get a Home yeah, Depot hot dog. Yeah, that are only there for the no, hot dog. I, I, think I think it's dirty dog. You think dogs. you're buying tools at 90? They're, what do you need tools for when you're 90? You've got, got them all already. The tool is the hot dog, according to Tanner Hendrickson. Go get one, JR. I'm telling you. Dirty dogs at Home Depot. Where, Best where, hot dog ever. Any it? Home Depot. I used to go to the Arnold one right around your neck of the woods. Go check it out. I All promise right, you. You're sleeping today. on it. It's better than a ballpark hot dog, according to Tanner Hendrickson. You're going to uh, find my Life 360 at Home Depot today. <laughs> From the 314, guys, if I'm not mistaken, the Blues have one more AHL call-up to use. When would you use it, and would it be on Scott Perunovich? Yeah, you look at Scott Perunovich. He's played uh, 14 games with Springfield, a goal. I'm looking at his stats here, a goal and seven assists. Doug Armstrong said a couple weeks ago that they wanted to put Scott Prinovich in a good position, and they feel like him getting games in Springfield is the way to go. Uh, you look at this Blues defense, Alex starting to play a little bit better. You want to see something from a few guys, but also there's numbers, right? Like Callie Rosen, who everybody wants in the lineup, isn't in there every night. You're going to get Tory Krug back in Anaheim Saturday after he missed up that last game you know, with the, with his baby being born. Uh, but in terms of Prinovich, I would like to see him play a couple games before the end of the season's out. I thought we were going to see him before we saw Marco Scandella. That hasn't happened. I got to imagine if you're Scotty Prinovich, you'd love to play a couple games before you go into your offseason. Let me ask this. Do they even even use that last call up well i mean you certainly could hang on to it just in case of insurance yeah uh, but but i think that if you were gonna put a face with that you spot, gotta do perunovich it with would it. Be perunovich. I, I mean i i know i joke about martin Furk, but it doesn't really seem like there's spots Who? marty Furk, member of the ferrario five <laughs> do i remember it you of course remember it you were with me when i said that that was gonna happen but like there's no spot for him it seems that they've already told alexandrov and tucker go down and play down there for the rest of the season the problem with Scott Perunovich is where are you using him? Because if Tory Crew comes back, like 
I just don't know if Scott Perunovic is a third-pairing defenseman for you. Like, Scott Perunovic, if you're going to use him next year, you probably want to use him in your top four. Right, but he hasn't played all year, so I could see with only 11 games left in the regular season, if you did call him up just and to bring give him, him opportunities. I, I could see that the third-pairing. The thing is, like, are you taking somebody out? Is there an injury right. or two? Like, where's the room to pop him in there? Unless, you know, just like they, they're going along with everything else, they're experimenting, right? Okay, listen, uh, Marco Scandella – you're playing okay, but we're going to sit you out. We want to get Prinovich in for a game, Tory Krug, whoever, uh, if they want to give him that opportunity. But I could see Doug Armstrong and the staff, if he's rolling around it, rolling along in Springfield, Scotty Prinovich, just let him play it out and say, hey, build up that strength, and we'll see you in September. Coming into training camp. Yep. Uh, on us, on our Ask Us Anything Air Comfort Service, text line 314-399-9646. Fellas, who are some of the free agent pitchers the Cardinals could go after at the end of the season? Uh, let's add on to this not just free agent let's say trade uh t-bone so free agent slash trade for a pitcher for the cardinals at the end of the season all right so some free agents this guy i know cardinals fans like max scherzer but he's kind of old uh been down that road two separate times but he's got a player option of course there'll be shohei otani um there it is marcus stroman he's got a player option as well the name that's really going to be fascinating to keep an eye on going into the offseason is uh aaron nola he's expected to be a free agent uh this coming offseason if you want to talk about names that will be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. Tyler Glass now in Tampa Bay. He makes, I think he's going to make about $25 million. Don't quote me on that. Uh, next season on his current contract. Of course, Shane Bieber's the other name that gets highly connected to the St. Louis Cardinals. And it just depends on what is going on in Arizona. If they end up not kind of living up to their expectation, which is that they're going to be more competitive this year. Maybe keep an eye on them. Maybe they look to get rid of one of their arms. Probably not Zach Allen because he's young, but maybe someone like Merrill Kelly would be a guy to keep an eye on. But those those would be the names I would throw out there for now. For the record, there is a better chance that I will pass by Home Depot today and not go inside than there is uh, Bill DeWitt having a press conference to give Otani 600 Oh, you're insane, JR. Lars Dupar, the pepper, the pepper grinder. <laughs> he's already recruited him. It's just a matter of... Win, not if, with Shohei Otani. Uh, Shane Bieber's my, my player. That's my guy to watch uh, going into this season because if you were going to make a move for one of them, that would be the one that I think you could realistically pull off and make sense for your rotation moving forward. Let's continue that conversation because now with the news of Miles Michaelis being extended, how does that impact the Cardinals' rotation plans for 2024? And financially... Are you forced to insert younger pitchers into the rotation? So we'll get into that next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. coming out of Cardinals camp earlier this morning alongside Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic Blues Insider and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. The news, if you missed it, Miles Michaelis 
boy, he's had himself a morning. First, he finds out he's going to be the starter on opening day uh, at Bush Stadium on Thursday against the Toronto Blue Jays. And then it was announced that he signed a two-year contract extension. Uh, it was reported to be $40 million for Miles Michaelis by Jesse Rogers. Uh, and we've got a little bit more information on that now. Jesse Rogers of ESPN tweeted this out about 15 minutes ago. Uh, for those that like breakdowns, you know that this show does. BK's probably got an Excel sheet right now in uh, Vegas figuring out how this contract BK is going to work. hopped on a plane. He's coming back right oh, yeah. now. He, He'll be back so for the 1 o'clock hour. about this contract extension. BK forgot <laughs> about his Vegas trip, is geeking out right now, and is on his way back to St. Louis. Loses more time in the sports book for the NCAA tournament out in Vegas or trying to figure out how they can make this math work on an Excel sheet currently when the Michaelis extension oh, was totally signed. totally the Excel sheet. He's not <laughs> at the sports book right now. And, and, and this reminds me, I'm not keeping up with my quota. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, there right, it is. There Kansas City Barbecue. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Michaelis gets a $5 million, gets $5 million in a signing bonus for the contract extension. Then three more million dollars is added to this year's salary before two more years at $16 million each. So if that sounded confusing, essentially he's making $16 million per year the next two seasons. And that's a heck of a deal for a guy who could be legitimately your number two in the rotation next season. But the question does bode now when you look at Miles Michaelis being locked up, what does that mean for the plans going into next season and beyond? You know by now that Steven Matz is signed to a contract uh, and Miles Michaelis just signs this one. And for those that want to do quick math, now with the 16 mil, it's about $28.5 million that you got tied up next season between Michaelis and Matz. And T-Bone, you said the math for this season is around $61, $64 million. Yeah, so if you look at their rotation, the five guys that were projected, and I'm not talking about Jake Woodford, who's kind of sliding in as we expect because the Adam Wainwright injury they are spending about $61.15 million on their rotation. So if they want to, and again, it's all going to change because they've got free agents, you know, depending on how, like, Drew Verhagen, I know Verhagen, how the how their upcoming free agents uh, play this season, Jordan Hicks, Verhagen, Stratton, Flaherty, Montgomery, all these guys are going to be UFAs. So that will change the calculus of all this. But if they just want to get back to this, say, $61 million, that's what we kind of want to spend on our rotation. That's kind of our sweet spot. With this Michaelis deal, which is now going to be $16 million for the next two years, uh, and with Matt's on the books, who will make $12.5 million next year, you're looking at them with just two guys locked up of the five in the rotation at $32.5 million, which leaves about $32 million if they want to get into that kind of range, 30 to $32 million if they want to get into that range of where they're spending uh, this year on their rotation, which makes things interesting. Because, I, you know, if it was $20 million for Michaelis, I don't know if they would have had the money to go get an ace unless they wanted to spend a little bit more in the rotation, which they could with some of the younger players they've got going on. But they've definitely, based on the way they've structured this contract, got enough money to where if they want to make a push for an Aaron Nola, who probably will get $30, $35 million in, an extension, in a con- his next contract, could they could totally make that work if they wanted to based on the way they've structured this Michaelis contract. And this is really interesting in terms of watching how this rotation performs this season and how they want to develop it next season because realistically looking at it, you've got, if you're putting it on paper, a number two in a rotation and at best Steven Matt's a number three, but just realistically for how he performed last season, you put him at a number four. 
So you're talking about finding a way to fill a number one, a number three, and a number five for rotation. And I know this just seems really intense uh, before we've even hit opening day. But, I mean, typically if you're looking for a number one starting pitcher, unless you're trading for him and he's got a couple of years of control, like Tanner just mentioned, you're talking $25, $28 million per year if that's like an Aaron Nola or something around that sense of it. Who did you say T-Bone was 28? Chris Sale? Uh, yeah, Chris Sale's sitting at $28 million for this uh, upcoming season. You got like Jacob DeGrom, who just signed a contract, and his was $30 million in his AAV. So if the Cardinals wanted to do a deal somewhat close to that, they could make it work with the way they've structured Spikeless contract. Now, with that being said, if you do that, they're probably going to go with two young guys and have them compete for this rotation, which is where the conversation came yesterday with Jake Woodford. Hey, can he showcase himself as a potential starter for next season and if he does then the Cardinals basically have three of the five spots locked up they can figure out the guy in free agency they want to get or trade for and then have some of these guys that they think would could be ready like Graceffo or McGreevy compete for that fifth spot next year and that's where I come in on this you're not signing your ace this offseason you're trading for him you're trading for the guy because let's take Shane Bieber for example you're going to get him with one more year of eligibility and then he becomes a UFA at 29 years old and that one more year that you would have him under control probably Probably somewhere around $15, $18 million. But you've got your ace, you've got your Miles Michaelis, you've got your Steven Matz, and then you spend the extra money on a pitcher in that 3-4 range to be right there with a Steven Matz, kind of like what Jordan Montgomery was when you acquired him last season. And then it's the competition for the younger players because I don't look at the rotation and say, the Cardinals are going to go into next season and say, okay, we've got three spots to fill. We'll sign one player. And then two of those spots are going to be a Jake Woodford, Gordon Graceffo, Michael McGreevy, something like that. Those extra pieces would seem to be what Jake Woodford was this season, where you go into spring training and say, hey, out-compete somebody for one of those rotation spots. So I don't see them getting into the market for the ace. I think that comes via trade, and then the rest is internal competition among your younger pitchers. And Jake Woodford is is at the helm of that conversation for how he performs this season. <laughs> Adam Wainwright, you guys, I bringing him back. You no, know, you're doing you're doing all the math, and you're forgetting about his ten million next year after he pitches well this year and comes back next season for oh, that four spot. T Bone, do we take that into consideration? <laughs> No, we didn't, but I am going to go on a limb and say that we don't have to worry about that because remember they said they were accounting for that this year, if I remember correctly, that they were accounting his deferred money because remember we had the conversation of, oh, okay, you're giving him $18.5 million. then it was like, yeah, oh, no, but we got to that... account for the deferred, which is another $10 million plus. Yeah, but was that John Mosaic saying, yeah, we're going to account for it here so we don't have to spend that money elsewhere? Exactly. Or is that, and then next year it's like, oh, yeah, but we got Adam Wainwright's $10 million on the deferred <laughs> money with this. I uh, I would like to think that he was telling the truth <laughs> and not uh, you know just saying that to, you know. I would too, man. Lower our hopes down. We know how down. this goes. No, no. I, we know how this goes. I think Mo is going to sign a big-time free agent. Now, when I say that, Cardinals fans don't get angry when it's Jack Flaherty because he has a bounce-back year. So you're saying we can't put $60 million on the books for Shohei Otani? Yeah, no, we definitely do not have room for that. (laughs) Did he just say, don't get upset, Cardinals fans? Wouldn't you be excited if... Flaherty has a good oh, year God, and comes no. back? Oh, God, no? no. No way. People would not be happy about that. I've already seen people bring in the conversation of don't re-sign Jack Flaherty because he's not an ace. And, and I mean, look, if you want to get the ace, if he does pitch that way, I mean, I'm not thinking you're going to get a hometown discount with Jack Flaherty, but it, I think you'll be spending less on Jack Flaherty than you would if you go out there after an Aaron Nola via free agency, right? 
Yeah, but this assumes that he's going to have a, a good year if you're going to want to bring well, that's him back. Well, yeah, that's the other, and that's the I, what ifs this season with all of that. Yeah, I, I don't know what Flaherty's market would be if he has a bounce back year. And let's just say he's not top five in Cy Young voting, just to kind of use that as a baseline to say he's like a top 10 guy or top 15. I, I don't know how his market would play out because he is a guy that's dealt with injuries. I, I think it would still pay him a lot because like when I look at um, Carlos Rodon's market, Carlos Rodon was only good last year. The years leading up to that, he dealt with a ton of injuries and he still got a very lucrative deal from the New York Yankees. So I think a bounce back year for Jack Flaherty could net him a big contract. And that's the only time the Cardinals would bring him back. If he's just kind of middling and say his numbers are similar to what they've been in spring, which is like a four ERA and he's just been okay. You haven't seen the swing and miss stuff that you were expecting. I don't think they would bring him back then. I, I think they would look to the market. At least I would hope they'd look to the market and go, okay, we got to go get an ace because Michaelis, Bats, we love these guys, but they're not aces. They're perfect two threes, and it's too much to ask for McGreevy to take on that ace role in his rookie year. So let's go out there and get somebody. And I think that's what they would do. I think you got a ton of guys that you can use in the rotation, whether it's four or five or depth guys next season. The real question is how you acquire that top arm with Miles Michaelis. Because knowing that you've got Michaelis and Matt's locked up, who's that top arm? Do you acquire them via trade? Do you sign them in free agency? That will be the trickle-down effect of how you form your rotation moving forward. But again, all eyes this season should be on a lot of these young arms and how they progress because you could potentially have four or five guys fighting for rotation spots in spring training if they all perform well, whether it's in Memphis or or uh, for the Cardinals this season. So again, if you missed it, Miles Michaelis, opening day starter for the Cardinals on Thursday and reached a contract extension two years uh, with the Cardinals, Jesse Rogers, Derek Gould uh, on these reports. Coming up next, get back into the Blues conversation because last night we saw Jake Neighbors take advantage of his opportunity. But is that still what Doug Armstrong and company are looking for for that top line. We'll get into that with JR next alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Jeremy Rutherford of BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For Bortuzzo, knocked it down, clears it ahead. Neighbors, breakaway, shoots, he scores! Jake Neighbors taps the glass with three Blues fans right behind the goal. And the Blues have gone on top four to two, 5.52 to go, second period. What a goal last night for Jake Neighbors in the Blues comeback victory over the Detroit Red Wings alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario as Jake Neighbors got an opportunity to play on that top line last night. Now, it was skewed at the beginning because Robert Thomas was injured and, well, not injured, he was sick and he had to be taken out of the game. He was a late-game scratch, so he didn't play. Uh, Braden Shen moved up to that top line with Jordan Cairo. But overall, it was a really strong performance for Jake Neighbors. He finished the night with one goal, two shot attempts, one that was on net, which was that breakaway goal. Also had four hits in the game, two blocked shots. He won the faceoff that he took, 
and he played the second most minutes of any game this season for Jake Neighbors. And Craig Berube talked about the possibility of Jake Neighbors being a top six winger playing with Thomas and Cairo down the stretch and possibly in the next season. This was his response. It, it depends. It depends on his development and, um, you know, if he's capable of, you know, I don't think there's any issue with him going to be with, you know, the work ethic and the details of the game defensively and things like that. And it's just about um, finishing right, you know. So I think that really goes into a top six. Right there, finishing, JR. You talked about it, and Barubi talked about it, and you saw it there. Now, Jake Neighbors hasn't had the greatest season, but he's also 20 years old playing his first season in the NHL. He's been on the fourth line, the third line, played on the top line. But when you can finish... You're a top six winger. Yeah, out of all the types of goals that he could have scored last night, to score one like that, it's on the breakaway. Bortuzzo gives him the puck up ice, and Jake takes it in and beats the goaltender uh, five hole, as Jamie Rivers said. You know, it's a situation where we were talking to Craig Berube, that conversation you just had uh, about him a couple days ago, and said, can he be a top six player, Alex? And he said, hey, it's all about the finishing. It doesn't seem like he's got a, a shot from distance like we see with Jordan Cairo, where you're 20, 25 feet out and you can beat the goalie. Jake Neighbors doesn't have that. A lot of his stuff is is going to come around the net. We're talking maybe garbage goals, hardworking goals. But last night, that was a finish. That was incredible. Uh, you know, I think that he's got that type of skill. He really does. Now, does he flash it all the time? Can he do it all the time? Probably not. He's not Jordan Kyrie. He's not Robert Thomas. He told us that a couple days ago at his locker stall. He said, but I can make space for those guys, and I have no problem playing that role. So will he be a top six guy for his bulk of his NHL career, Alex? You know, maybe not, but I think he's a guy who would be a really good third line player who can come up and play top six minutes if you need him to. Yeah, And that's where it's at. You know, I ask myself when I talk about Thomas and Kyrie because those are the um, cornerstones, the pillars of your team as you retool and you say, what does that line need? And I would love to have a Yakub Verano on that line who could score 30, 35 goals in a season because of his shot ability. But you kind of have that already in Jordan Cairo. And I would love to have somebody who is a power forward, like an Alexi Torovchenko who goes to the front of the net, or even a Jake Neighbors. But the finishing is not their expertise. And, you know, you look around the National Hockey League at some of the guys who thrive under those situations. Tom Wilson is one of them. Chris Kreider, BK's favorite player, is one of those guys. Matthew Kachuk is one of those guys who goes to the front of the net. And a player I brought up yesterday, a Michael Bunting or a Zach Hyman. These guys thrive because they go to the front of the net, they can't get pushed out of that spot, and they find ways to make those extra plays to score goals. Very similar to what Sammy Blade did last night, the shot from Colton Pareko, rebound, he picks that one up. I still look at this as much as I love Jake Neighbors and think he's going to be an impactful player for this team moving forward. I don't look at him as the guy who can play with Thomas and Cairo. I look at Jake Neighbors as best case scenario. You're talking about a guy who fills the second or third line. I, I look at this team next season, JR, and say your second line, third line, fourth line taken care of. You're still looking for number one up there with Thomas and Cairo to fill the offensive identity that the Blues are searching for. Yeah, but you look at these next next season and the next two years, this is a retool, right? So you're seeing what you have in a Kapanen and a Verena. Were those, will those guys be here three, four years from now as they really try to get into uh, competing again with this team? They may or may not be. We don't know. But in the meantime, you have to see what you have in Jake Neighbors. And I think last night, 20 years old, was a really good game for him. You mentioned Thomas was going to be on that line. He's sick pregame, so you pop Shen up there and uh, – and he plays with Shen and Jordan Cairo. I have the video highlight 
in my yeah. uh, story today, Jake Neighbors led the team with four hits last night. One of them, and I kind of put a video together, is he skates the width of the ice, puts the pressure on Ole Mata. Mata coughs up the puck. It goes to Shen. Shen gives it to Kairou. Kairou gives it to Rosen, and it's back to Shen for a potential scoring chance. That's exactly what Jake Neighbors said a couple days ago that he wanted to do. He wanted to be the heavyweight guy on that line where he can get in and, and create some space, and he did that. And, you know, I tell you what, a lot of times we just want to show one highlight in these stories. You don't want to bog it down with mm-hmm. three or four. But I went back and watched each one of Jake uh, Neighbors' four hits last night, all four of them did something to the play. He made an impact in the play. That's what they want to see from him. So, again, might not be first-line material in the NHL, maybe not even second-line, but he can definitely play in that middle six. And that's one thing that championship teams need, players who have the ability to move up and down the lineup and do what the coach asks. And that's one thing that you cannot take away from Jake Neighbors. You want him on the fourth line, he'll provide it. You want him on the top line, he'll provide it. They have a couple of those guys like that. Sammy Blay is another example of it. The Blues, when they won the Stanley Cup, which is the example we always reference Sunquist, Steen, Barbashev, Sanford, Blay, all of these guys were impactful in the lineup and moved up and down wherever the Blues needed them to. You need guys like that. And Jake Neighbors has that fire in him to take his game to the next level if you need to. His growth is going to be very interesting with what the Blues are trying to accomplish. But the one thing that the Blues are going to have to identify this offseason, J.R., and fans are going to love this because we hear it all the time at Blues games. Shoot! <laughs> Finding guys who shoot the puck more. And Tanner brought this one up to me last night, and he's right. I mean, last night, again, you only had 22 shots on goal. Yakub Verana has been the guy who's shooting all of the opportunities for St. Louis. You still are in this passive mentality where you're looking for that extra pass and trying to make that extra play. You need more guys like Verano on this team that say, I'm going to shoot it. We'll see what happens from here. Yeah, you really do. He's been uh, a very big plus Absolutely. In, that, in that regard. I mean, could you imagine without Verano out there right now? I mean, they're only getting 17 and 22, 26 oh, yeah. shots a game as it is. And, and he's taken a lot of them. So you definitely need that shooting mentality. I think that's something that we talk about. What are they going to do these last 10 or 11 games? You know, that's that's what Craig Bruby has been uh, preaching. You know, I don't want to get too far out in terms of two, three years down the road, but you got a guy, Jimmy Snuggerud, coming around who I was from the of. University of Minnesota. He loves to shoot the puck. I talked to his coach up there at, with the Golden Gophers, and he said he loves to shoot it. He can shoot it from everywhere. So that's a good sign you got a guy like him coming. And what I like about this this young crop of blues players that come along, you know, let's, let's graduate uh, Thomas and Kyrie, you know, not talk about them for a second, but we're talking about the, the Snuggerudes, the Bull Dukes, the neighbors, you get Zach Dean yeah. in, that, in that trade uh, for Ivan Barbashev. These are all different types of players. So you don't have guys coming in and two guys do the same thing. Three guys do the same thing. Neighbors can be that physical guy. He can get in the, the four check and he can create space. Like we saw in that video today, you look at a Bull Duke skill when he comes around and matures, you know, he can, be that type of guy. You got a snuggerood who can shoot it. So again, we're talking two, three, four, five years down the road with some of these guys, but you got a situation where you got guys coming in who can do different things. Well, and you do have a coach who preaches quality over quantity. Like Ken Hitchcock was quantity over quality. Ken Hitchcock just wanted you to shoot the puck. Funnel it to net. Didn't care if you were at center ice, just put it on net. I mean, Pete DeBoer is that way with his teams of the more shots, the better for your team. And sometimes that works. But Craig Berube is definitely a quality types of shots over quantity types of shots. But he also doesn't want you to just keep looking for that extra pass. And that's probably the 
the rock and a hard place that you would look at is if you're a coaching staff of, hey, we want these guys to make the plays that they are capable of, but we also don't want you keeping passing up opportunities. Perfect example is the power play right now. I mean, you had one shot on four power plays last night. The more you pass the puck, the less options you are going to have an opportunity to score the goal. Well, and I don't think that Craig Bruby will change in terms of preferring quantity over quality, but here's the thing. When you've got a Stanley Cup team and you've got the Ryan O'Reilly's and the Braden Shens and those types of guys who are looking for that perfect shot, that good shot, and they convert on it. We saw the Blues uh, shooting percentage a couple years ago was phenomenal. Uh, But now as you go to a retool, and maybe you don't have guys who have a 15% shooting percentage, you you want those pucks to the net. And we saw it last night. Colton Preco, puck on net, you know, goal scored. Jordan Cairo, puck on net, goal scored. You know, that's what this team needs to do, especially with some of these younger, unproven guys. It'll be back in display tomorrow night. 9.30 puck drop against the Anaheim Ducks. 8.30 pregame skate uh, on the home for your Blues 101 ESPN. I'll have that. You'll be up really late. Oh, I'll be up real late. And then we got another riveting matchup Sunday against the LA Kings at 9.30. Better you than me, uh, buddy. All-nighters, ladies and gentlemen. All-nighters here at 101 ESPN. He's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Jordan Walker. We teased that earlier, but of course the Miles Michaelis news came out. Jordan Walker's struggles. Is that going to change the Cardinals' plans for him to start this season off? We'll dive into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I still think it matters how Jordan Walker finishes this spring training. I still think that this is a time here in the next handful of days where he can continue to apply the pressure. The last thing that he wants to do is open the door just a little bit for anybody else. Forget that. Slam the door. Go out there and dominate. Right now, there's no way you can tell me that there are four outfielders that are more talented than Jordan Walker, no matter what I see in the next five days. But I want him to head into the regular season, hopefully making the opening day roster as a 20-year-old. I want him to do so with an exclamation point. That is BT Brad Thompson on the most recent episode of the Redboard Redbird Report podcast, and you can listen to that on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Thank you to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers for that support. But BT's absolutely right. I want Jordan Walker going into the start of opening day saying, I'm here and I'm here to take somebody's job. Not as much as what he's saying right now since March 11th, when he exited the game with the shoulder injury. And alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And look, all the reports from camp when Jordan Walker exited that game was everything was fine, it was precautionary, he's good, he's played in plenty of games since, it's all good in that spot. But for Jordan Walker to lock in that roster spot out of spring training, JR, it comes down to how he performs the rest of the way. He started the season, spring training, 14 for 33 with three doubles, three home runs, seven RBIs, a 424 on base percentage, a 788 slug, and an over 1,200 OPS. Now he's four for 28 with only two extra base hits. Obviously not performing the way he was 
prior to that shoulder. Yeah, when you said that, it made me think of something, whether it be Cardinals, Blues, whatever. It's the old cliche, uh, you know, you you don't come out and say it, but you think, I'm here to take somebody's job. I want to see somebody go in the locker room and actually say that. Like a youngster, walk into the, the Cardinals locker room in spring training and say, I'm here to take somebody's job. And walk job. up to somebody face-to-face and say, I'm, I'm going to take your job this season, just so you're aware. Yeah, and he, he just might, right? I, I mean, to- the play has basically been him saying that to – whether it be Lars Newtbar, I mean, essentially it was Dylan Carlson, but could have been O'Neill, could have been Lars Newtbar. But because it's dipped off, I guess it could change the opinion of some people of his spot on the roster at the start of opening day. For me, it doesn't. I mean, Jordan Walker was sensational at the start of spring training. Now, yes, he's dipped off. I don't think this has anything to do with shoulder injury. I think this is a, has everything to do with other teams starting to get closer to opening day and wanting to make sure that their top guys are ramped up and playing. He's starting to see different pitchers. He's starting to see different pitches. But for Jordan Walker, Tanner, when you're getting to this point of the season and you started off as hot as you did, I would hate to look at the kid and say, well, you didn't end the way you were pitching or playing at the beginning of it, so we're going to send you down and get it figured out. If you believe the talent is there, Take that into opening day and figure it out, which is crazy that I'm changing this tune because three weeks ago I said that he shouldn't even be starting for the Cardinals. Yeah, I I think the performance that he had early on that you mentioned when he had that 1,200 OPS, I think that was enough to lock in the roster spot before that injury occurred. And I agree with you. I, I don't think the shoulder is the reason he's struggling right now. I think it's just a young kid going through a cold spell, and I don't even think it necessarily deals with the pitching that he's seeing. I, I think it's just, just truly one of those cold spells for a guy, and he's 0 for his last 12, I believe. But when I look at this roster, had they had like Yepes or Burleson really like playing as well as all the other outfielders, then right. I think it would become a conversation where it is, you know what, you didn't finish that strong. Yepes and Burleson have been playing better. I think we're going to carry them, and we want you to go get reps in AAA with the Memphis Redbirds. Well, those guys haven't been performing. So I I think Walker has some leeway here. And there's only, I think, four or five games left in spring training to where I I think he locked in his spot with his early spring training performance. I I think this is just one of those where he's gone cold. And it it does kind of complicate things because if he goes cold, you want want him to be starting. If he's going to be with this club, he needs to be penciled in as a starting left fielder, right fielder, wherever you want to put him on the opening day roster, but I, I think you stick with him. I, I don't think you send him down to AAA because he's gone cold in the final like five games he's played here down the stretch. So so I know this, this slide and this injury was 10-plus uh, days ago, and it's been a while, but do we know for sure that that's maybe why the numbers haven't been as great? Isn't you know Tanner just said that uh, I don't think that's the reason why we've seen the slide. It's just part of a young player, but do we know for sure? I mean, I, I haven't heard him or anybody report him saying like, yeah, you know, my shoulder's still nagging or something like that. I mean, right after he was taken out, Ali Marmal, the Cardinals had tweeted it out or texted it to all of the media and said he was taken out for precautionary issues. And I believe it was what? So the injury happened on March 11th. He was in the game three days later. So some of that was spring training. Maybe some of that was making sure that he healed up properly. But I I mean, Prior to these last three games where he's gone hitless, he had he went two for four, two for four, one for four, and one for four. So he was still getting the hits. The strikeouts took place. And then we were also seeing him in the outfield make throws from right field to third base. So I, I don't think this has anything to do with the shoulder and everything to do with he's just going through the struggles that a young player does when you start to see more consistent pitching. Like yesterday, he went up against Nestor Cortez and went 0 for 4 and had one strikeout. That's going to happen when you face those guys. Like if Jordan Walker is starting on opening day Thursday, you're facing off against Alec Manoa. 
the dude nearly won, or did he win the Cy Young? No, it wasn't him. It was, uh, what's, whatchamacallit, in the American League. But, I mean, he was a Cy Young caliber type pitcher. These are the hiccups you're going to happen. Here's the other question with this, to the point that Tanner made. Like, you're competing with Burleson and Yepes. If Yepes makes the roster and, and Burleson gets sent down to Memphis and say, hey, we need you to go perform, and Walker struggles, and Burleson performs, then you have the opportunity to look at him and say, hey, just go down and get some reps. But I don't even know if I would be on board with that, T-Bone. If Walker struggles at the beginning of the season, I would say let's figure this out up here because you're working with our major league coaches and you're working against major league pitchers. We believe the talent is there. It's just a matter of fine-tuning it at the major league level. It's all kind of circumstantial because, like, if it's if it's like a major struggle to where it is, not even the numbers that he's doing right now. Because in his last ones, as we've said, he's uh, four four is whatever last twenty eight. Like, even if it's a bigger sample size than that, then I think he would probably have to send him down because you can't continue to throw him out here and continue to get him reps if he's struggling and then really damper the confidence in a young player that's just twenty years old. I, I think what would happen then is if he really struggles, they would send him down and say, "Hey, just." Work on this. Once you get it kind of fine-tuned, we'll bring you back up. Look at the Nolan Gorman situation last year. They brought him up. Now, granted, different story because he started the year in in, uh, Memphis, but they brought him up. He had that little period where he was playing great, and then people started really peppering him with fastballs up in the zone. What did the Cardinals do? They said, you know what? We're not going to be able to get you playing time down here to work on that. We're going to send you back down to Memphis, work on it there. When you make the adjustments, then we'll bring you back up when we need you. And that's exactly what they did. So I think it's kind of circumstantial. If he goes through some struggles and you see him striking out a lot, he's not been drawing walks in spring training, which I'm not saying that's a red flag, but it does mean that he's uh, being more aggressive. Um, If that becomes an issue for him, yeah, I could see where they send him down and say, you know what? We want you to continue your development. Maybe we rush this just a little bit. Let's have you go down in AAA, work on some stuff. And we've got three outfielders that we trust in Carlson, O'Neill, and Newpart, and they're giving us our best chance to win right now. That doesn't mean you're not going to be back up with the club at some point this year. But right now we just need to send you down because it, you just need to work on some stuff. That plays into this next area. Lars Newpar. Everybody's super high on Lars Newpar, unless you're named Greg, Ams- Greg Amzinger, because Greg Amzinger doesn't think so. But uh, Lars Newpar, of course, took baseball by storm with the World Baseball Classic. But he also has impressed Eno Saris, of course, friend of uh, BK and Ferrario. Eno put a piece out uh, today, had 10 polled predictions uh, for the upcoming season. And he said Lars Newpar will be a top 25 hitter in the big leagues wow. this year. Uh, quote, Lars Nupar went to driveline before last season and went on a mission to increase his bat speed, nearly tripled his barrel rate, and increased his maximum exit velocity by three and a half ticks. Of course, nerdy uh, talk there, which gets BK excited all the way out in Vegas. But he's already on a great list. Here are all the players with at least 300 plate appearances last year that were in the top quartile of the league in both contact rate and barrel rate. Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, Taylor Ward, Carlos Correa, Mike Yastrzemski, Seiya Suzuki, Vogelbach, Brandon Drury, Will Smith, Freddie Freeman. Good company to be in. If Lars Nupar is a top 25 hitter in the big leagues and Jordan Walker scuffles at the beginning of the season, then you absolutely send him down because you have somebody who can take over that spot and you look at Walker and say, go be the top dog and you'll be back up here sooner rather than later. Well, there we have our answer to if Goldschmidt and Arenado don't uh, That's true. You you have the next Freddie Freeman. You got uh, Newtbar ready to fill the void. You have the next Freddie Freeman on your team in that sense of it. But hey, if he becomes a top 25 hitter, 
that protects a guy like Jordan Walker. If Jordan Walker was in this position last season, you'd be looking at Jordan Walker to be putting up numbers like Albert Pujols did because you didn't have a three-hole hitter. or I'm sorry, you didn't have a number three hitter like you did with Paul Goldschmidt and Olin Arenado. But this season, when you've seen the, the uh, increased play of Brendan Donovan, I saw John Denton uh, told um, uh, said yesterday that Nolan Gorman would be the talk of spring training if it wasn't for Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. You've got a lot of dudes that are performing, and if Lars Newpart becomes a top 25 hitter in the bigs this season, then Jordan Walker, that just extends your opportunity to let him grow into what you're hoping he can become. Yeah, and to your point on that, as you said, that that allows this kind of wiggle room for Jordan Walker to where last year when Gorman was called up, it kind of felt like, hey, offensively, Pulse is kind of turning it around, but we really need you to kind of be another impact bat for us. And this year, if everything goes to plan, Walker can kind of take his time in developing here in the major leagues. If he kind of scuffles and he doesn't end up playing like he has in spring training, you can take more time to kind of develop him here at that level because we've said it all along. Jordan Walker's on this team on opening day. It's not like he's going to be batting uh, second or fifth. He's probably going to be hitting seventh or eighth for this Cardinals because they're going to want to take it easy early on with him, kind of like what the Mariners did with Julio Rodriguez last year, who I think on opening day was batting eighth. By the time they got to the playoffs was their leadoff hitter. Well, we'll see if he'll be in the lineup later on tonight. The Cardinals will be back in action for spring training action against the Washington Nationals and the man with a new contract extension, Miles Michaelis, and with his role of the opening day starter, is on the mound for the Cardinals against Washington. Uh, We'll talk more about that as we move along here today alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrario. We've got the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who is in for BK today, Tanner Hendrickson, and back in our 101 ESPN studios, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are live at the E&B Granite Studios out here at the Centene Community Ice Center as we jump into today's junk drawer, and I hand it over to Tanner Hendrickson. Alex, I know you've been to Disney World, and I know uh, your family's a big fan of Disney World. Jay, are you been to Disney World at all? Uh, Disneyland, I have. Disneyland? Oh, really? You yeah. did Disneyland instead of Disney World? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, huh. Blue's out there in Anaheim. So oh, that makes sense. How about Did this? you go by yourself? No. <laughs> That's kind of weird, JR. <laughs> actually, flew a family out there. Okay, We good. actually uh, we put a letter in our daughter's uh, lunchbox. So when she opened up her lunchbox, it said... Uh, Grab your coat. We're going to Disneyland. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Jumped on a plane and went out there. Look but. at you guys. That's great. Uh, now, imagine, JR, and see if you could do this in 12 days. Alex, you too. There's a diehard Disney fan that rode all 216 rides at all 12 Disney theme parks worldwide in a 12-day span. Who's wow. in? I'd be in if I, like, here's the thing. Are you waiting in all the lines? Because now they've got these weird rules where, like, you can only, like, use the fast pass on a couple of rides in the daytime. So, like, am I waiting three hours per day in lines? Because I think I would go insane in that sense of it all. I would have I would to do say it. you're not waiting in the lines because otherwise I don't think you could do it all. Yeah, no waiting in lines. You got to just. But it's 12 days. Like, you could do all the rides in 12 but days I, even but... with the lines. 
Could you do all 12 days or uh, do it in 12 days at all 12 Disney theme parks worldwide? Oh, that- she did worldwide? worldwide yeah. yeah. No, there's. they had to shut the park down or basically tell her, hey, you'll get to the front of the line, everyone you want to go to. Yeah, that's a yeah. fast pass situation what I think there. Is like somehow they came to the agreement of, hey, we're doing this, and they just said, yeah. hey, you're going to the front of the line, you're going to hop on the ride. Would you be willing to do it then? Tanner, I can do it. This is nothing. I'd make it harder. I'd say 12-pack of beer and a Crave case before you start your day. Oh, oh I would vomit God. on the first ride. Yeah, I am. I would vomit on the first ride. I am out on that kind Game of over with that. <laughs> I mean, if you told me that I could get to the front of the line on all of the rides, and, you're in, and I'm imagining, I mean, you have to fly to all of these different parks, right? Oh, in yeah. In a 12-day frame. And so I'm assuming you're going to get some type of private jet or copter or something like if this was laid out to me luxuriously of hey you got this set up for you i would do this in a heartbeat <laughs> what if it because was, that would be awesome what if it wasn't completely like luxury like so this? i had to get like on a charter plane yeah, to go like, to the next like yeah no go, yeah bleep that yeah your middle seat southwest with yeah the bleep baby that every, because like, every flight you take yeah and we're talking about like you're like i'm assuming if we're talking about all of these theme parks you're flying to like disney world Japan and Disney World France. I'm not flying charter on those flights so I could go ride rides in a day. You're going to have jet lag by the time you get there. Yeah, I would think the, the plane flight, yeah. if you're talking those parks, that'd be worse than the ride itself. Right. Now, the real test would be go to Disney World and do all of the rides in, say, what? Four days? Four parks? You got four days to do them? Oh, I feel that, like that would, would be, be the easy. real test. Oh, I think that would be easy. Okay, unless but you don't get to go to the front of the line. Okay, okay. Well, I was just about to say, unless we kind of took out that caveat, then it would probably be a little bit tougher. But I I think that one would be easier to do than all 12 locations. I mean, like, I'm just looking at the order in which this person went. They went Paris, Walt Disney Studios, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Tokyo, Disneyland, Disney California Adventure, Epcot. So, like, that's too much. That's There's no a lot of flight way. there. I would not be up for that. No freaking way. All right, I'm going to make it more difficult than the 12-pack and the Crave case before you I don't know if rides. you can make it more difficult than a 12-pack. I think I can. you got to take BK with you. Oh, yeah, no, I'm out. I'm out. No way. Tanner? I, I would rather take my 2-year-old and 7-month-old than BK. It's the same thing. No, it's not. My 2-year-old <laughs> and 7-month-old can't talk. That's fair. Right? That's fair, right? but I, BK doesn't cry like your 2-year-old. My 2-year-old doesn't cry. 7-month-old cries, but you just put a bottle in her mouth. She's good to go. I, I think BK I'd does rather, cry. I was going to say. BK would be like, nah, it's no. too hot out here. <laughs> nah, I don't want to wait in line anymore. I watched the videos when he lost those bets. What do you mean he doesn't cry? That's fair. But I, yeah. I would much rather have, like, be there with an adult than with a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. Oh, see, I would rather go by myself. That would be the way to do it. There's no, have- there's no way. You would not go to any of these places by yourself. Oh, yeah. No, by yourself would be the way to do this because then you get in and you get out. Do the rides, you leave. No, no like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Nope. On and off. No shot you would do this by yeah. yourself. By yourself is the prime way to go about doing this. But I also wouldn't do this because I'd have to fly commercial flights. And <laughs> out on that one. Tanner Hendrickson, Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we're going to go back through the length of spring training for the Cardinals. There has been a ton of scenarios that you'll look at and you say, huh, this could be something, or is it nothing? We'll get to that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
So just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, we wrap up our show about 2 o'clock. Tanner has some duties to, to fulfill at the end of it. I'll be at Home of, Depot at 2.15. Yeah, I go get myself a dirty dog from Home Depot. But, you know, Tanner's got the podcast to do and get some stuff together. And when BK is out, he and I kind of talk a little bit about what we want to do for the show. And then we text throughout the night. And then I like to imagine my Tanner Hendrickson at home with a... With my? A, yeah, my Tanner Hendrickson, my T-Bone. I like to picture him at home not a, with not a, a... stuffed bear. Yeah, my, with a boiled hot dog in one hand, you know, a Bud Light seltzer in the other. And he's just laying on his couch coming up with scenarios of, you know, what can we do for Cardinals tomorrow? And then Tanner sends the text and says, guess what? I got a great idea for us. Something or nothing. Spring training edition, because T-Bone, we have a ton of scenarios in spring training that has gotten all of us going, huh, this is a little interesting. So I'm going to hand the... Uh, I'm going to hand the wheel over to you, and you tell us what scenarios you've got in mind. All right, guys, let's start with Brendan Donovan. It's a power surge, something or nothing. He's got four home runs in spring training so far. Last year, he hit all of five. Is this something that will continue into the regular season, or is this just one of those, eh, it's spring training and it won't carry over? I'll say this is something, but I don't think it's going to be, like, significant enough to be, oh, he's got power. What's significant? 15, 20 home runs. I'm thinking you're probably looking at 9, 10 home runs for Brendan Donovan this season because Brendan Donovan is going to be the leadoff hitter and Brendan Donovan has a certain type of skills. I sound like Liam Neeson right now from Taken of being that leadoff hitter, finding ways to take the right pitch and being aggressive with the count so that you can get on base. I don't believe Brendan Donovan has come to the Matt Carpenter sense of I'm going to showcase my power now. So I'm still going to say this is something because I don't look at it as he's going to only have two or three home runs this season, but I'm not talking 15, 20 home runs for Brendan Donovan. Yeah, I'm going to say something too, and you're right, Alex. I think he's got such an eye. You know, he takes those walks. He's got such a great uh, on-base percentage that maybe the opportunity for swinging for the fences isn't going to be there for him like it might be for somebody else. But I'm going to go a couple better. I'm going 12 home runs oh, for Brendan Donovan. He just prices right at me. T-Bone? I- I'm going to say this is something. I-, I-, I think this power is real for from Brendan Donovan. I agree with you, Alex. I don't think it's going to be something where it's like, whoa, Donovan hit 15 home runs this year. I think it probably will be around the 10 home run mark or 12. Uh, Ah! But I I think the significant thing will be in in terms of doubles. I think you'll see his doubles number rise up from what it was last year. All right, let's stick with an offensive player. Something or nothing. Dylan Carlson is making the adjustments against right-handed pitching. In spring, against righties, he's got a 310 average. He's hit two home runs with four extra base hits. He's got a 375 on base, 586 slug. His OPS against righties in spring training is 961. Is this something or nothing? I think this is something. Uh, I just went back and looked at it. Last season against righties, he hit 243 with a 739 OPS. Uh, and had a total of 13 home runs. So he, he had the power last season against the righties. It's just you weren't making enough contact. I'm going to say this is something for Dylan Carlson because I, I I look at this as he's feeling the heat from Jordan Walker and Lars Newtbar and Tyler O'Neill. And now there's a little bit more emphasis on, hey, I got to fix this area for it. Because it's not like all of these numbers came at the beginning of spring training where you're going up against, you know, lesser quality hitter or pitchers. It's the last five, six games, and I don't know how many of these were righties, but he went 0 for 4 yesterday, but prior to that, 1 for 2, 2 for 4, 2 for 4, 1 for 3, and in that frame, he had 
two extra base hits. So I'm going to say this is something. I think Dylan Carlson has unlocked something. Hey, Tanner, since you created this game, can you kind of alter the rules? Can we have a third category, and that third category is you want it to be something? I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. See, you made the of rules. Of course, JR. No, I want it to be JR something. JR changes the rules. He's he, he comes into the league, right? He's got all the tools. He can be that guy, and it just hasn't been there for him. But I want it to be something because if he can hit right-handed pitching, then he can make himself – just a better piece for this lineup. And, yeah, there's going to be competition with Jordan Walker. It's going to be hard to keep up with some of these guys in terms of uh, Dylan Carlson and trying to stay in that lineup. But I think if he can do it against right-handed pitching, this is a good sign. And you're right, it wasn't just in a, in a burst. You know, it's throughout training camp. Mm-hmm. And I think this is – or spring training there is my hockey. There. Yeah, I know. Me too. Uh, <laughs> and I think that it's a situation where he can still help this team. I haven't – this ship hasn't sailed on, yeah. on him, I don't think. I, I think this is something, too. And it's not so much the numbers for me. It, it's the eye test. He looks better against – righties and I think it's the health last year we learned he dealt with a wrist injury and I wonder if that's what really hampered him now I kind of say it's something but I also say it's something with some caution because we've seen this before from Dylan Carlson where we think he's making adjustments but throughout his career he has struggled against right-handed pitching let's stick with another offensive player let's go to Tommy Edmond something or nothing Tommy Edmond struggles in spring training and at the WBC between the two, he's got a 172 average. He has zero extra base hits, and his slugging percentage is 172. Is this something or nothing? I think this is something, but it's in the other way. Like, we've been looking for the positive in a lot of these something or nothings that you've put together here, Tanner, but I think this is a situation where it's tough to ignore. And, and you know, could you get into the regular season and all of a sudden you forget about what you saw in uh, spring training, right? Spring training? Mm-hmm. With, spring uh, training. With training Tommy Edmund. <laughs> but I think it's a situation where you've seen this, and, and it – it does leave a little bit to be desired, so I think this is something. I'm going to say this is nothing here, and I know I'm known just like I'm the Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington lover. I'm the Tommy Edmond lover. And Tommy Edmond, if you look at the baseball card, and I understand it's four seasons, really only two of them being a full workload, but these last two seasons where it has been a workload, it's the same numbers. 262, 265 batting average, 308, 324 on base percentage, 387, 400 slugs, 695, 725 OPS. He's the same player every single season. I just, when you start the year slowly for spring training, and maybe the World Baseball Classic inhibited it a little bit because his team Korea didn't perform the way you would have hoped, and then of course you come back and you got to get back into that spring training mindset. By the end of the season, we're going to be talking about Tommy Edmund the same way we talk about Tommy Edmund every season. I'm saying nothing as well. Last year, he was even worse than what he's been in spring training so far. And he ended up having a really good year. I think last year he ended up finishing with a total of two hits in spring training. So I'm going to say it's nothing. For whatever reason, he has just struggled this spring. And I think when he went to the WBC, he was pressing a little bit because he was one of just two major leaguers. And there was pressure on that team, Korea team. Uh, Let's turn to pitching for our next one here. Let's talk about everybody's favorite, Jack Flaherty. Yeah. Something or nothing. Jack Flaherty's stuff hasn't been as impressive as we thought in spring training. 22 hits, a 338 average against him, a 4.5 ERA and 16 innings pitch. Is this something or nothing? I think this is something. Uh, Jack Flaherty has been struggling to find the strike zone. Like, I mean, he's been around it a lot, and then, of course, he hones in and is getting away with it. Uh, but he is getting hit around, and he's getting hit around hard. Um, And I know Jack Flaherty wasn't very happy when the media asked him about, you know, his velocity and, you know, Jr. He wasn't happy when the reporters asked him, but no way. People don't like when when media gets in their grill and asks questions. But this is something. I mean, Jack Flaherty is healthy. I don't think that's the concern here. 
I just think this is the ramping up of Jack Flaherty now from missing the amount of time that he missed last season, and now you got to get back into the right mindset. By middle of the season, Jack Flaherty is going to be the Jack Flaherty we're expecting. Maybe not to the level of ace, but he's going to be fine. But right now, this is something because the start of the season might be a lot more intriguing for Jack Flaherty than we're making it out to be. See, we were talking at the top of the show who would be the opening day starter, and we said, would Flaherty be upset? He can't be upset in this situation. You're right. I can't sit down there at Bush Stadium and be sipping on my third beer and my helmet nachos and watch a guy get hit around. It can't be Jack Flaherty. No, I think the pressure is going to be on him a little bit this year. Obviously, he's felt for the past couple years uh, that he's a good pitcher. Obviously, he hasn't been on the mound enough to really show it. I know he's been upset with the Cardinals organization for some medical stuff. If he wants to go into free agency, he wants to lock on with the team and get some money. There's going to be some pressure on him, and it's got to be better than what we've seen here in uh, spring training. So I do think this is something. I I think this is nothing. I I think Jack Flaherty is fine-tuning his stuff right now. And, yes, that doesn't mean that I'm saying he's had a good spring. No, his spring has been somewhat disappointing. But his velo is where it should be, and though it hasn't been as crisp as necessary, he has only walked four in 16 innings pitch. So I think it's just the hits right now. I think he will – cut that back once we get into the regular season I'm still banking on a big Jack Flaherty year because of what JR said it's a contract year so I say this is nothing I'm not going to panic about Jack Flaherty just yet can I also add on to this why I think it's something his pitch the amount of pitches he's having to throw to get through three four innings is very concerning I think that last start that he had, he was at like 50-something pitches by the third inning. I, I, That's the concerning part. I think once you get kind of into a rhythm as and you get kind of everything working on the same uh, – I don't know if capacity is the right word. But like in these starts, I've seen, okay, the fastball looks good, but then his slider doesn't look good. Oh, in this start, his slider looks good, but yet the fastball doesn't look good. Once you get everything in rhythm, I'm not too concerned. Uh, let's let's stick with the rotation. I got one for you guys because I tweeted about this yesterday at Timo 101 ESPN on smash Twitter. Smash that like button. No, smash the follow <laughs> button. Get it right, you bot. Oh, uh, sorry. Something or nothing. We're going to see you a bounce bot. back year from Mats. In spring training, he has held hitters to a 167 average against. He has struck out 17 and 17 and two-thirds innings pitched while allowing just three earned runs, which is a 1.53 ERA. Something or nothing. That that strikeout is scary good right now for Steven Matz. And, I mean, it's quality. I mean, that lineup that he went up against yesterday was a good lineup for the New York Yankees. I'm saying this is something. Um, I was skeptical about Steven Matz just because how up and down and inconsistent he was last season. But, hey, if I'm going to sit here and say Marco Scandell is playing better because he's got two new hips. And Colton, too. Well, and that's the Drew Verhagen side of thing. But I'm going to sit there and say, like, hey, whatever Steven Matz went through and he's had a normal offseason and a normal spring training, This is working for him. I mean, if you look at his numbers with the New York Mets, you know what you're getting out of him. Somewhere around a three ERA, you're getting 150 innings, and you're going to get somewhere between 150, maybe 160 strikeouts. This is something. Steven Matz might be back to the number three pitcher that we expected when he signed in the offseason last year. Yeah, I think he's definitely a good three. I think it's something. I think he's got the stuff, and when he's healthy, like uh, when he came back from that injury, he showed that uh, he could be that guy. But, Alex, I have a question. You look at Tanner. He puts together this game. I didn't hear any panic in any of his answers. Everything rose-colored. Tanner, do you have any panic whatsoever? I don't have really any major concerns about this Cardinals team. I think every question that you may have had going into spring training has been somewhat answered and made you feel confident. The only one that I would say you probably would have some concern with is Jack Flaherty, which is what you guys voiced. 
but I don't have that much concern. But when you look at the outfield, four guys have really stood out in spring training. Carlson's adjusted against right-handed pitching. Nolan Gorman looks to have cut down on some of his issues with his swing. Oh, and by the way, he's playing great defense. I, I don't think there's any major question mark that I may have that still has me concerned. Maybe the bullpen a little bit with the Rodriguez injury, but that'll kind of sort itself out. But on this one, I'm going to say this is something. Steven Madge looks as good as what Miles Michaelis did last year in spring training. And if we remember back to last spring training, I said at the end of it, he was going to lead the Cardinals in wins, have a really good ERA, and throw, I think it was like 170 innings pitch. He ended up having that happen. I, I think you're going to see a big year out of Steven Matz this coming season. Who has a better season, Steven Matz or Jordan Montgomery? I think Matz. I, I think Matz is going to outperform everybody in this rotation outside of possibly Jack Flaherty. See, no panic. No panic. No panic. Tanner Hendrickson, World Series or bust for this I Cardinals team. I sense it's some panic in Jordan Montgomery right there, right? <laughs> well, no, that's just because Montgomery, I like Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery hasn't been that good in spring, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to panic. I usually back the guys that never turn out to be well, so that's on me. Tanner Hendrickson, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next... Are we seeing the Blues defense officially turn the corner back to what they were expected to look like? Or are they just playing this way because they got a young goaltender in front of them? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. into the blue zone. Bellino with a shot and a glove save. Hofer. He's been flashing that glove since he's been called up here. Billy in the circle. Shot on. Rebound. It hit the post. Stayed out. Unbelievable. And it's into the pads of the goaltender. Hofer covers it up. Yeah, he did a good job again. You know, solid game all around. You know, gave us a chance to win. Well, Joel Hofer in this Blues defense continuing to play strong in this last stretch of games alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. It's a three-game win streak on the road for St. Louis. They've got now points in five consecutive games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And a lot of this is because of the way that Joel Hofer has been performing. But, JR, how much of this is because the defense is performing well. Pareko, Scandella have probably played their best stretch of hockey uh, since, uh, honestly, all season. I went back and looked at this yesterday. Um, Marco Scandella has been on the ice for three power play goals against since he's returned to the lineup, and he's played the most minutes of anybody on this team since he's returned to the lineup on the penalty kill. So you take that into consideration, and when we talk about defense, we're not just talking about the defensemen. Forwards have been back-checking, taking away the center of the ice more. Are we seeing the the turnaround for this defense that we expected at the beginning of the season and it never showed up? Or are we just seeing these guys tighten up because it's a 22-year-old goaltender and they don't want to leave him out to dry? Uh, I'm a big believer that it's a lot of things. It's a, it's a variables that come into play here. And let me let me uh, touch on this. So I think it's a situation where you can give the defense credit and some of these individual defensemen credit for playing better. Uh, but I think it's apples and oranges in terms of playing in December – playing a really good team, you're still in the playoff hunt, you're trying to fix what's going wrong defensively, so guys are you know, up against it a little bit. Where was the performance then? To me, 
when you're playing Detroit, another team out of the playoffs, and you're playing them on March 24th or whatever it is, and and you're getting a good performance out of these guys, to me it's, it's just not the same as when you could have been doing it in November or December. So I don't think you can come up with an answer. I don't think we can sit here and say, okay, well, this defense is tracking better. You can definitely count on them come next October because next October, guess what? The slate's clean. The pressure's on. you got to make the playoffs. Are these guys better than they showed this year? They could be, but I don't think that you can get that answer in a Thursday night game against uh, Detroit. Yeah, the matter of the fact is, like, they're playing better in terms of not giving up those backdoor tap-in chances like they do against Jordan Bennington. But, you know, Craig Berube, and I, I know this because he inter- or he talked with Curbs at the beginning of the season when Curbs asked him, you know, what's a good defensive game for your team? He said 12 or less scoring chances. That's what we deem a good game by our team. They've given up 94 scoring chances in their last four games, according to Natural Statrix. So, like, you're giving up a lot it's still. a lot. Your goaltender's saving your bacon, but I also look at the quality of the opponent. And yes, Joel Hofer hasn't been been in that, and I'm not taking anything away from what he has done. But the last game that you lost was against the Minnesota Wild in regulation where you got blown out. And there was it was just bad play all around in front of your net. That's a qual that's a that's a team that is fighting for the top spot in the Central Division right now. Since then, Washington Capitals, good team. They were in a wild card spot, but playing five hundred hockey when you took them on. Winnipeg Jets, they had won three of their previous nine games when you played that team. But you still beat Connor Hellebuck, but the offense had not been playing well. I think they scored two or less goals in five of those nine games. Then you take on Detroit and Detroit. Bad team. The way I looked at this last night was you're seeing the difference between an average team and a bad team. And I think Washington's an average team. No coincidence that it was a closer game. Winnipeg's an average team. And then Detroit, you beat up on. Yes, they beat you in a shootout, but a bad team. And that's why I feel like we're seeing this defense perform a little bit better. They're performing against these bad teams. If they do what they've done against the Winnipeg Jets to where they really tighten things up defensively against the L.A. Kings, I'm all on board that this team might have turned it around. Or you got Boston coming to town here soon. You, you end the season with Boston, New York, Dallas, Dallas. If you perform well against those teams defensively, I'll I'll start believing in a little well, bit. Well, Alex, let me go back to what I was saying about the variables too. So I want to give Joel Hofer some credit because he's played really, really well. Absolutely, I, I think so. But uh, you know, Jordan Bennington, I think for the bulk of the season was a good goaltender. You know, people give me a lot of grief for saying he could be MVP of this team at a certain point in the season, uh, but I think he was playing that well. <coughs> Excuse me, Alex. I think it's a situation where. Hofer's playing great, but you talk about the inferior opponents that you're mm-hmm. playing. You're talking about a, a goaltender who's got something to prove, and you got a team that's playing a little loose and knows that it's kind of winding down the season here. So I think you bring all those things together, and that's what you're seeing. Yeah, well, and that's and that's really where it comes down to with all of this, that you're seeing all of that with these guys and seeing this ability for them to perform that way. And you do have to give Joel Hofer his roses for how he's playing. Now, on the defensive side... Hypothetically, it does feel like they're turning the corner and you're getting better play from Colton Pareko, better play from Marco Scandella. You know, Justin Falk last year was in the Norris conversation for how he performed. That's always a positive in that sense of it. And then you look at a guy like Scott Perunovic and where he plays into this. And T-Bone texted me this yesterday, which I did find very interesting. We just saw Jake Wallman play two games against St. Louis. And Wallman, of course, scored that goal 
uh, last night, that slap shot that beat Joel Hofer. And then you go to what Vince Dunn has done this season, 70 games, 13 goals, 44 assists, 57 points, playing about 23-46. To me, Vince Dunn has proven to be that superior defenseman who can carry a pair. Jake Wallman has been playing a lot with Maurice Sider, who is that superior defenseman who you look at, and Wallman's a complimentary piece. For this team to be successful, JR, Scott Perunovich is going to have to be one of those two players. If you're going to try and retool this thing quicker, because it does feel like the Blues are relying upon Scott Perunovich to be an impactful piece for this team next year, Jake Wallman or Vince Dunn is what the, well, honestly, the ceiling is like a Quinn Hughes if you can get it out of the guy who's won a Hobie Baker award. But the floor might be Jake Wallman, Vince Dunn for your team with Scott Perunovich. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm a big Scott Perunovich fan, and I still think that he's going to be a player in this league. I think it's probably asking too much, you know, to say that you're going to have to count on a Scott Perunovich. So stepping back from that conversation for one second, I think, you know, if you talk about this Blues defense looking better, here's the question I ask. Are you comfortable enough to not touch it in the offseason and come back next October, uh, you know, with the same group and say, I think we'll be fine? I don't think anybody listening – uh, to that conversation could say, yeah, I'm fine with that. So I don't think we've seen the type of improvement that you need to see to be comfortable with what's going on next season. Now, what could be different? You could add a Scott Pernovich to that mix. You know, could he be a guy, second pair, third pair, who, you know, plays better than they looked this year with the Tory Krugs and better defensively? I don't know that we can say that yet. We just haven't seen enough from him. So I still think whatever conversation you have about this Blues defense is that Doug Armstrong has to explore the entire offseason. I know he's done it. I know he's had conversations about specific guys. You look at Colton Preco where there's smoke, there's fire. He's talked to some teams. Uh, Tory Krug Tory Krug's got the uh, no trade clause just like Colton Preco does, and would he want to move? You know, I think that's a, a situation. So you got one year left on the Scandella deal. Can you move his money? He's got that modified trade no trade clause. So you're going to work a guy in like Scott Perinovich, but I don't know that he's either going to have the opportunity or the minutes to be that difference maker. That's why I think big picture, something's going to have to give with the defense. They're going to have to find a team to take one of these guys, kind of just change the, the look of that group. You have to because Tyler Tucker's going to be on this team next year. You know you got Robert Bortuzzo, Callie Rosen, and then the Scott Perinovich factor into all of this. But you, you brought up an interesting question that I, I'm I am very interested in of this offseason. You're right. You can't come back with the same defensive core. You do that, Blues fans are going to be like, what are you doing? And you might be stuck with it, but you're going to have to do everything deemable possible to get out of one of those contracts. Who do you feel comfortable with if they were to say these are the guys coming back next season? Because for me, Pareko and Falk, I believe you have to have those two guys on this roster because you don't have anybody else on the right side who can play there. Bortuzzo's your third pair. You could throw a Tyler Tucker or Callie Rosen on the right side, but at best you're probably talking third pair. Marcus Scandella has played to the point that I'd say I want him back on this team. BK and I talked about it yesterday. Scandella and Pareko should be a pair together at some point next season. And then it comes down to do you feel comfortable with Letty or Krug being back on this team next season and how their role impacts the team moving forward? Yeah, you know, so I, I think you have to preface this by saying it's difficult to move these contracts. We've talked about that for months and months. I, Absolutely. I understand that, but um, it's going to be difficult. So what can you change? You don't know. But let's say you kind of had this magic wand and you could move guys around. Like, you know, I would want Justin Falk on this team. I think he's a guy who you, you move forward with. You know, 
if you're going to move a Colton Preco, and I understand there's people out there make that argument, you know, the defense would be a lot better without Colton Preco. Okay, who are you bringing in? Who's the guy that's going to take the spot, eat the ice time? You can sit here and say, I don't care, but you have to have somebody. You can't just say, you know, show them the door and we'll find somebody. It's not That's not how it works. If you're going to bring somebody in a trade for agency, okay, tell me who it is, and I'll tell you if I would replace that guy with Colton Preco. You know, Tory Krug, if you were able to move a contract and – it was a situation where you felt like you could replace a guy. I think he would probably be the guy. Say what you want about Marco Scandella. I'm not saying that you bring him back next year. Maybe you do find a way to move him. But I think if you have him, he can play in your third pair, maybe uh, second pair like he has been mm-hmm. with Justin Falk on the penalty kill and be okay. But you're going to try to find a way to get Scott Prinovich in there, right? And you're going to try to find a way to get Tyler Tucker in there. And, and so I think when you start bringing up those names, maybe that makes – Tory Krug more expendable, especially if you go back to that Colorado series and see what Scott Perinovich did with that power play. I'm not saying he can be the Tory Krug power play specialist of the Boston Bruins, but I think he's a guy, uh, Scott Perinovich, who can handle that duty. So um, does that alter the look of the defense that much? I think it, it pretty pretty well does when you're talking about a 19, 20-minute Tory Krug um, not being in there and trying to fill in with other spots. Gives you some cap room as well. Yeah, and I was trying to look this up and see how many power play points that Tory Krug has had, and I know he's had an up-and-down season because of injuries. Injuries, right. Kept him out of the lineup, which has been difficult for him, but I mean, Tory Krug in the last 17 games has only got four power play points. So I mean, And the power play overall has been bad. It's absolutely. hard to pin. You know, it's but, has, to pin. but has it been bad because the quarterback of the power play has not been successful? With it, I don't think so because Tory Krug's been making the passes. Nobody else has been able to capitalize on those one-time yeah, shots. Yeah, there's not the one time. There's a lot of dusting yeah. off, and there's been a lot of moving parts on that part. I, I think when you look at it, the simple, the simple view of it is you still need a number one guy. You still need somebody on the left side who can be that top defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. If it's not Scandella, if it's not Letty, if it's not Krug, if it's not Perinovich, if it's not Tucker, that's what you're searching for because you've got a ton of dudes who can play second and third pair, and even if it does seem like they're turning things around, you've got a full season next year where you're going to be starting from beginning to end and you're going to have to find somebody who's willing to take a hold of that role rather than what you had this season where nobody wanted it. Yeah, and Alex, I just don't think they're going to find it. I don't think they're going to find a guy who's a – definite, surefire, top-pair defenseman on the left side to play with Colton Preco. I think this is going to be a situation where it's a retool. You're going to be as competitive as you can for the next couple years, but you're probably not going to be able to move a a Nick Letty contract, so he's probably going to be the guy for the next year or two. I don't certainly see a situation where they're going to go into this offseason and you know move the last three years of that Nick Letty deal. You know I think he's your guy. Maybe you'll do some mixing and matching and try other guys in that spot, but I think you're looking at a couple years before you can get to a situation where maybe you can get out of, of a couple of these contracts and then you have a situation where a Scott Pernovich has maybe solidified himself a little bit more and then maybe we're talking three years down the road before you're able to go out in the trade market or free agency and find a guy who maybe you're not talking a you know top 20 defenseman in the league a definite number one guy, but a guy who you think can give you those minutes and that play that we're talking about that they don't have right now. It's on pretty that left simple. Side. It's Nicholas Haig. Yeah. Let's find a way to get him from or Ryan Graves, either member of the Ferrario Five. He's Jeremy Rutherford, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, send us your scenarios for one's got to go. You send us three options. We're going to tell you which one's got to get out of there. It's our favorite segment of the week on BK and Ferrario. 314-399-9646. One's got to go is next. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who is sitting in for BK today, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, as we are out here at the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. Patrick Mahomes, that's number three. KC Barbecue. Now, what is the quota? Should I get to four or five by the end of the show? Or? Uh, I mean, typically it's like what? You'd say like six, T-Bone? Something like that, yeah. Five, six, something like that. Yeah, you're probably right on par with it. You've had some bad takes today, so it's fine. You're right there. <laughs> he does have some slower days, so it's fine to get a little yeah. lower than the quota. Everybody, everybody has their off day, right, T-Bone? That's right. Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. And it is time for our One's Gotta Go segment. You send us three scenarios. We'll tell you which one has to go. This is where all the bad takes come out. Let's start with this. One's Gotta Go. March Madness. Stanley Cup tournament or the Super Bowl? Oh gosh! So let's take let's say NFL playoffs because Super Bowl is one game. We're talking tournaments here. So March Madness tournament, Stanley Cup tournament, and NFL tournament. Can I start here? Yeah, I think it's March Madness. What? That Look, is a bad take. Hold, listen to me for a second. There is nothing better than the first weekend of March Madness or the next weekend. But then after that first weekend, how invested really are you in March I mean, Madness? I know you were in bed last night while Gonzaga UCLA was going on, but that yeah. was a Were you sleeping? hell of a basketball game. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and incredible to watch. So this is just, I'm just saying, like this is a bad just take. This, there's just this dead period of yeah. like, well, okay, and then you get excited towards the end. Uh, NFL playoffs, I'm invested from start to finish. Same with Stanley Cup playoffs. Tanner, I feel like this is a Scooby-Doo episode, and he's actually, BK, we're going to pull the Alex mask off. That was such a bad take there. <laughs> and I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you dumb kids and that for you crazy kids. dog. <laughs> no, the, uh, the uh, NCAA tournament, I think, would be my number one there. And uh, I'll tell you what, I am a uh, hockey guy at heart, so you got to keep the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup playoffs. I'm getting rid of the Super Bowl, which I know might not be a popular choice with a lot of people, but uh, can you still have the food and the meal without watching the game? And No. It all has to go. It all has to go. It's all out of here. Yeah. I don't know. Food, hockey, food, hockey, food, Why hockey. get rid of March Madness? I don't hear people <laughs> having food parties for March Madness tournaments. <laughs> what about you, Tanner? I am. Uh, I would get rid of the Stanley Cup playoffs. If your team, See? If your team's not in it, how invested are you really? Like the Blues oh, not so making the playoffs invested. this year? Aren't, they may not even be statistically eliminated, so maybe I shouldn't say that. They're but not, man. Point home to the Blues. Blues. Listen to the home of the Blues. I, uh, <laughs> I don't watch the Stanley Cup playoffs if the Blues aren't in it. I, I just really don't care. I'll watch the final, but that's it. So... I would say it's the Stanley Cup final for me. The first, even just the first day of March Madness, if that's all you really enjoy, that outweighs the playoffs for me. And then the and the NFL playoffs are always great. So I think it's the Stanley Cup playoffs got to okay, go. Okay, okay. But Stanley Cup playoffs, there's going to be a Blues player on every team this year. That's very true. And there always seems to be. This is a fun one from the three, 636. One's got to go. Cards get Otani. Blues get Bedard. Or City gets Lionel Messi. Wow, I don't that even is think, a good one. Is Messi possible? None Probably are, not. None of these are possible. What do you Whoa. mean? <laughs> I mean, well, Bedard, there's like a 3% chance Bedard could happen. Bedard is the most realistic one out of all of those. Oh, you're crazy. Have you seen the T-shirts of Newt Bar and Otani together? I have, and it's definitely likely Newt Bar's an angel. 
You're, hey, man, it's not an angel. It's with the Cardinal right now. I'll, I'll, I'll start here, too. I, I would say City gets messy would have to go. Oh, that's because crazy. I, I, I know it is a crazy take, but I mean, I got to be honest with you. I would be uh, ecstatic if the other two happen. Otani or Bedard are a part of the St. Louis teams. Well, I feel bad agreeing with you, but I'm going to agree with you on this one. But here's my reasoning. City doesn't need Messi. They're 4-0. and Damn right, JR. You don't need Lionel Messi. Yeah, T-Bone. I would. I, I can't oh, believe I'm saying this. You say Bedard. This. No, no. I would love to see Bedard here. I, I think I would get rid of Otani. What? Though oh, Messi, you think Otani's going to be a bust, though. Though Messi is older, it would be incredible to see one of the best, most accoladed athletes in like the history of a sport playing here in St. Louis. And yes, Otani is a unicorn, but I fear that he is going. He can only do that for a. X amount of time, and I think over time, his probably his arm will give out, and he'll just become a bat and kind of lose that effect. So I, I would say I'd have to get rid of Otani here. Alex, here's why he's getting rid of Otani because he has no panic with any Cardinal players. He true. thinks they're all going to be good, and, and the Cardinals don't. Right. We don't I even heard. need them. I, he does no believe, panic. He does believe Jake Woodford's the next ace for this Cardinal yeah, squad. Yeah, Matts is going to pitch like Otani. Yeah. Can he hit like Otani, Timon? Oh yeah, would get rid of the DH. <laughs> Tommy Edmond, despite his <laughs> spring training, he's going to hit like Otani. He's just going to hit like Otani. No big deal. From the 636 on our One's Gotta Go segment, Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. No shoes ever. Shorts only. So you can only wear shorts. Tank tops only. You can only wear tank tops. Jeans all day, all night, even when you go to bed. This is a tough one, This too. is tough, JR. So I don't look good in a tank top, uh, but I don't mind that. I can walk around. <laughs> Who cares? That. You yeah. look good in it if okay. you feel good in it. So the one I'm going to go with here, and this is just being an oversized guy here. Does anybody else have this problem, especially big guys out there, that, you know, when the jeans ride up all day long, by the time you take them off, they're kind of... Well, if you'd stop wearing skinny jeans, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. I'm not supposed to wear them. Yeah, you're not supposed to wear skinny jeans, man. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got to get the tough skins. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with the jeans just because, man, big guys, after a long day of wearing the jeans, you take those off. They kind of don't fold and fall to the ground. They kind of stand there by themselves. You've been uh, wearing them so long. So <laughs> jeans all day long, every day. That's got to go. T-Bone? I, I think I'm with JR there. I, I can't, like, I'm wearing jeans right now. I'm fairly comfortable not having the issue JR was just talking about. But I would not want to wear these to bed. So I, I think jeans all day, all night, even to bed, that thing's got to get out of here. Yeah, You know, I originally was going to say that one because it is really uncomfortable. But if I'm tired, I think I'll fall asleep. No shoes has to go. That's just disgusting. Like a little bit of a germaphobe here. So hear me out. People's feet are nasty. And I don't want to see your feet. Don't want to see your feet out walking around. And I can only imagine the people that refuse to wash their feet after being barefoot all day, every day and still walking around like that. So that's disgusting. I think I would have to get rid of no shoes. But sleeping in jeans would be very difficult. All right, uh, final one. Let's do this uh, from the 618. Perfect way to end this one. One's got to go bar food edition. Burgers? Nothing's going here. There's nothing <laughs> I going. I expected that one. Hot wings? No. Nope. Nachos? Can't go. Pizza? No. Nope. All right, what's <laughs> the other choices? That's it. I, you don't need anything. I think this one's easy. I, I do. I, I actually do, too. And oh, I'll be very you, interested if we got the same one. I'm saying Let's say that, it at the same time. Okay. Three, two, one. Nachos. Burgers. Oh, what? that's no. That's, that's guys, terrible. Get that's out terrible. Of How here. can you get rid of a burger at a Because I got my pizza. Bar? I'll just make that's, a hamburger I, pizza. I guess that's fair, but, like, 
I want hot wings at a sports bar. I'm in. A pizza at a sports bar. I'm in. A good burger at a sports bar. I'm really in. Nachos at a sports bar. Eh, you know I could do without. So I, I think the nachos got to go. You put the steak on the nachos, and some jalapenos, and some beans. It's a really good appetizer (laughs) to start off. I I, I can make a cheeseburger pizza. Give me a cheese pizza, put some hamburger and onions on it, and we're good to go. I'm out. All right, how about uh, you guys say you, you guys do that thing where you do the punishment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not anymore. We're we're done with you that. You used to, yeah. although we don't. We haven't lived up to like six of our punishments yeah. still, but it's fine. You, old segment. It's so fine. here's my thing: give me the punishment. I'm not choosing. You're Whatever. not going to do no, any of those. No, give me the. Okay, punishment. so you have to go sing uh, Christmas songs in a Frosty the Snowman outfit at Main Street. Actually, I'll do we it. need a new outfit. The one that BK had on, we've ruined. <laughs> how did he ruin it? He wore it when we did the polar. Oh, punch. that's right. That's right. I forgot yeah. about if that. If I can eat the nachos, the burger, the <laughs> the wings, all that stuff, JR's I'll stand fi- out there in what other outfit you want me to JR is going to be the one. Oh, don't tempt us with that one because <laughs> we had to be uh, all punished by watching BK in a snow white lingerie outfit. That one always <laughs> has to go. Jer- Jeremy Rutherford, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We will take our final break and come back and uh, we'll rewind it here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. ESPN will be broadcasting live from the Budweiser Brew House inside Ballpark Village next Thursday for opening day. Cardinals home opener is finally here, and we will be steps away from the stadium. The opening drive, BK and Ferrario, the fast lane, we will all be broadcasting there on Thursday, March 30th from Ballpark Village. Our opening day coverage is brought to you by Rawlings Green Envy Lawn Care and Budweiser. And speaking of opening day, we will close it out the way we started it out with the news that broke earlier today and alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Appreciate him filling in today for BK and Tanner Hendrickson. Miles Michaelis named the opening day starter on Thursday against the Toronto Blue Jays and also getting himself a two-year contract extension, which was originally reported to be 20 years per year, but now we found out more of the uh, details. It looks to be about $16 million per year Great for Miles Michaelis, but even better for the Cardinals to be setting themselves up to have a top end of the rotation pitcher for $16 million the next two years and having somebody take over once Adam Wainwright retires. Yeah, you couldn't be happier for Miles Michaelis to get this opening day start, get that new contract. He's been great for the Cardinals. Uh, but there's still, Alex, a little part of me, I'm a longtime Cardinal fan, a big-time Adam Wainwright fan, that he's not going to be on the hill for that one. It's uh, it's weird, know, it, isn't it's it? It's tough, yeah. He's out there and, and just the sentimental value there. And uh, you could see him going seven or eight, right? You know, and... and you know, I know it's early in the season, so maybe not nine, but uh, it, it would be fun to see him get the win on opening day, if especially it, it looks like it's his last one. I hope the fact that he's not pitching on opening day and gives him a little bit of time to get whatever this is right, the groin, maybe et cetera, uh, that 
he's pitching in a big moment at the end of the season because it does suck that he's missing out on this big moment at the beginning of the season. But at the end of the season, if he's pitching in a big moment, I think that's even more important. T-Bone, uh, final thoughts on Miles Michaelis' contract extension. Yeah, one, good for Miles Michaelis, and two, really good deal for the St. Louis Cardinals. As you mentioned, it's going to be $16 million a year. They gave him a $5 million signing bonus, added $3 million to his salary, and we kind of ran through the math earlier in the show. If you miss it, check out the podcast on the podcast page at 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire auto centers but i i think this contract is uh flexible enough for the st louis cardinals that next year if they want to spend in free ag- free agency and go get someone like an aaron nolas the guy that i keep using as an example they have the financial flexibility to add a 30 million dollar pitcher into the rotation if they want to do that though they'll probably rely on two younger guys with uh more cost control but there's definitely flexibility to add to this rotation this is a great deal for the st louis cardinals you know i'm up for an aaron nola if they can sign that he was my guy last year before he pitched so well with the phillies and the phillies made it all the way to the world series but i love shane bieber also and if shane bieber is an option for this cardinals team uh makes them better if you can acquire them at the trade deadline or in the offseason and that's the flexibility now allowed for the cardinals because of miles michaelis is contract jr thank you so much for filling in for bk today you've done a great job impersonating patrick mahomes casey barbecue boom nailed it t-bone always great stuff my man have a great weekend i'll be back with you tomorrow night for blues and ducks and then i'll be with you on sunday for blues and kings both pregame starting at 8 30 here on your home for the blues 101 espn for t-bone for jr for bk i'm alex Ferrario, Fast Lane, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.